You're listening to Fan Holes, a podcast for Tauntauns and Twinks. <laughs> <laughs> Hey baby, what's going on? This is my microphone voice. <laughs> Where do you buy those at? I need one. But, but I was like, in my head, I'm like, I can totally Superboy Prime punch this so it makes sense, <laughs> you know? I have a headset, it looks way cool. You should all be jealous. I, uh, we are. I'm with Mike on that one. Grimlock, I told you to take care of things while I was gone. <laughs> we do a podcast? What the fuck? <laughs> this is the Great Corn Holio, and I need TP. For my fan, Julio. Uh. <laughs> you said ho. Um. Alright, welcome, class, to modern history. I will be your teacher for the course. Man, is that clock moving backwards? Uh, His name is Magneto. Hey, teacher, I found my pencil. Calm down. I will be your professor for this course. You may call me Tony, if you're my friend, but you're not, so you may call me Professor Chainclaw. <laughs> Professor Dootyhead. Hey, well, <laughs> good one, man. Ah, I hate you all already. I will be teaching this course, and we will enjoy the topic for today, which is 1994. An excellent year for, well, a whole bunch of things that happened, really. I'm going to take roll call now to make sure the class is all in order. Ah, uh, Derek W.C., are you here? Yo. Ah, hello, Emilio Estevez. I see Justin Grimlock, are you here? Present. I thought you were a man, not a woman. <laughs> <laughs> I got Mike. some growing up left to do. <laughs> there is milk <laughs> in the cafeteria. Mike Thunderwing. I'm here, and I am one metamorphin dudicus. I'm glad you're so excited. <laughs> hey, it's hard to find a word that rhymes with bruticus, okay? Good point. I will give you five extra points on the test. And also, I'm looking for Brian, 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 breakdown. Surprisingly present. Oh, oh my gosh. You've been absent for so long. No, just kidding. I kid, I kid. He has been busy doing stuff. I am just messing around with you guys. This is the Fan Holes Podcast. Hopefully you knew that without our clever uh, acting skills. Um, we are talking about 1994 this week. We are very pleased as Punch to have Brian back with us. He's unfortunately had life kind of messing with him. He had some stuff to deal with. 
babies being born. Who thought that took like, you know, time out of your schedule? Um, <laughs> but we are glad to have him back. We also have, as you have heard, all the regular fan holes. We're going to talk about 1994 this week. It's really just a big topic. Not going to really talk about a specific thing like, you know, for the future, because, well, it's 1994, or someplace cold. We're just going to talk about the year in retrospect. We were all alive then, I hope. Um, if anybody was a zombie, let me know now. And just kind of go over things. Just kind of go back to a time a little simpler, a little simpler. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I was going to come up with a better word, but I couldn't come up with anything. Um, I'm just going to kind of throw this out here. This is going to be a gigantic, probably end up going to be a clusterfuck of a roundtable because we all have things we want to talk about from that uh, year. I'm just going to throw it out to somebody. Just like start out with something they would maybe like to talk about from 1994. And you know what? I'm going to give it to someone who, like I said, hasn't been here for a while. And I know he's ready to talk about something. Brian, just bring up something, man. Whatever you like to talk about from that year. Well, let's get the big one out of the way. Let's talk about uh, Kurt Cobain and his abrupt death. Indeed, yes. Um, yeah, uh, for anybody who does not know, Nirvana was a huge band in the early 90s. Uh, Kurt Cobain, their lead singer, kind of a... It, it depends. Some people say he was a tormented genius. Some people say he was a big jackass. Sometimes I kind of go with the latter. <laughs> but uh, yeah, in 1994, he was found dead from a supposedly... I don't know. I'm not a cop. Supposedly Controversy! <laughs> self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head that will end your career pretty quickly um actually was, kind of boosted his career it seems like yeah i know right they've released more albums since he was dead than when i were alive you know since oh. dave dave mustaine stopped throwing uh guitars up in the air which one was that <laughs> i remember that was that one mtv show where Chris one of them, the oh yeah he, he yeah, threw yeah. his guitar up in the air and like smacked himself in the head that was pretty cool. yeah it was it was the vmas <laughs> i believe yeah yeah, he, like, clogged himself in the head. I think that was also the VMAs where uh, Kurt Cobain called Axl Rose a giant pussy. Um, and since <laughs> since exactly. since he did get his ass kicked by Daisy Fuentes, I'm inclined to agree with him. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, eh, facts go to, go to you, Kurt. Um, uh, what, what, do you guys, what do you guys think about it? Was anybody, like, a huge fan of Nirvana? Did it kind of, you know, did it harsh or mellow or, you know? I listened to it a whole bunch, so I mean, I was I was pretty into it. I had most of the the albums up to that point. I mean, I think I'm trying to remember what was out when he. What was the last one? Was it like Heart Shaped Box? When yeah, 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 because yeah, Incesticide kind of was like a bunch of B cuts and stuff. Yeah, yeah, because I I remember you know like I, I guess Smells Like Teen Spirit was when everything took off, but there they also had Incesticide and. What was the one with the, the album with Polly on it or whatever? That's never mind. Yeah. Yeah, so. never mind. Yeah. yeah, Heart Shaped Box had, like, obviously Heart Shaped Box and... It's in utero, Tony. Yeah. In utero. Yeah, yeah. Derek said Heart Shaped Box. <laughs> you screwed me up, man. You screwed me. Um, now, um, I, I know one thing that a lot of people... There's, like, two kind of controversies about it. One, not so much, but a lot of people wondered if Nirvana was holding Dave Grohl back because he's had a stellar career since then. Um, Foo Fighters, I would say, is bigger than Nirvana in some ways. And then, of course, there's also the controversy of, like I said before, the self-inflicted gunshot wound. A lot of people who are hardcore fans of Kurt Cobain think that his wife at the time, Courtney Love, was helping him out a little bit on that one. (laughs) 
Mm. What do you guys think about? It? Do you think? Do you think you know Courtney's you know guilty or was it just you know because he was a troubled guy? I mean, yeah, like it was only like a month or two earlier that he tried to overdose in Rome. So it, yeah. even if he didn't kill himself the final time, it was definitely like you know something he had aspired to do at least. But I don't know. There is a lot of weird stuff too um, surrounding his death, like. Did he have too much heroin that he'd even be able to lift up the gun and put it in his mouth? Or would he just been comatose at that point? You know, the supposedly the um, suicide the note kind of looks like has different handwriting, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I, I, do rem- I do remember, like, watching, like, a, like, sort of, like, who killed JFK type documentary on, like, who, how did <laughs> Kurt Cobain die? And it- Was that Kurt and Courtney? Uh, I don't remember the name of it, but yeah, it, it might have been. It was like yeah, it was really in depth and stuff. And it, it, I remember hearing that, like you know, he might have been too coked up, or you know, he wouldn't have. Like they said, he fired it with his feet, right? Like he wouldn't right. have had the co- coordination or the strength to do to do it. That stuff yeah. like that. Who knew suicide was so like labor intensive? Um, <laughs> I, I always thought it was weird that he he killed himself like in the spring, and then by. The fall, like I think in November, Courtney Love put out the first whole CD. So I thought that was kind of, kind of odd. Like, you know, yeah. her husband just dies, and she's like, "Oh, I'm gonna make a CD now." <laughs> um, you know what? Like, the suicide would make a really great song. <laughs> um, I, but I remember, you know, going to school and like everybody being kind of upset. I was like, "Oh, what happened?" I was like, "Oh, Kurt Cobain killed himself." I was like, "Whoa, really? Wow!" Yeah. And then. Um, I was a big fan. I think I could think I talked on another show about Nevermind was one of the first CDs I bought. And then my cousin was a huge, huge fan. Like he, he was upset for weeks. Like I got to school and he was all crying and stuff. Like he actually had to leave school. He was so upset. Hmm. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I hate to sound like the uh, analytical person here. I guess it was the same thing when Prime died. And I was like, I don't think I cried because I'm a cold bastard. But like when Kurt Cobain died, I really was on the fence because I was like, okay, there's a human life that was extinguished, and that's never good. I mean, I wasn't like, you know, yeah, Kurt Cobain, you're fucking gone. But at the same time, you know, I saw a lot of his interviews, and while I agree that he was, you know, he did have psychological issues. He was very – obviously he had, you know, uh, self-confidence issues. He he hated popularity. He didn't want to be famous. He just wanted to write music stuff, and I I understand that. At the same time – a lot of the times in interviews, it came off like a giant douchebag. And, you know, I, I always, like, kind of rode that, like, fence. I was like, I'm not glad he's dead, but why are so many people hurt? Because he probably would have just been like, you're my fan. What a fucking idiot, you know? And I'm like, I, 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 I had a hard time sympathizing for him. I'm like, yeah, I don't like people dying. I'm not a fan of death. But at the same time... I don't see why people would mourn someone who seemed to be kind of a jerkwad sometimes. No, I, I kind of felt like that, you know, at, at, I guess at the time. But then I read the Kurt Cobain Journals um, book yeah, that came out that. years that ago. It, yeah, it, it'll, it'll change your perspective because you do see he kind of, you know, he had a lot of problems growing up. You know, he, you know, obviously he had lots of, you know, drug and alcohol addiction problems too. But he, he had kind of a messed up life and he had a lot of, like, messed up thoughts like sometimes he he would just kind of doubt himself and he he really did hate being you know as popular as it was he kind of thought of himself as maybe a sellout for a while there yeah yeah going along with the self-doubt thing like even a suicide note 
like strangely enough, I was talking to it um, with my wife about it just tonight. But um, even a suicide note, because she was like, well, did he have any kids? I was like, yeah, he had like a two-year-old daughter at the time he did it. And she's like, whoa, how could you, you know, kill yourself and leave a child? And But a suicide note, he, he basically wrote like, you know, I think um, Francis, is, that's his daughter name. I think Francis' life will yeah. be so much better without me here, you know. So, yeah, he definitely had some problems and like um, some self-doubt issues. Yeah, I hate to say this, but she just bought a mansion, so I guess she's doing pretty okay. But, like, yeah, I mean, I will say this, though. Even personal feelings aside, I am with you guys. I listen to Nirvana a whole lot. I really did enjoy their music. So, in one respect, I will say that it was a loss because he was a very talented songwriter. He really did pull off that tortured thing very well. Is like when he sang, you could tell that he, like, he wasn't just like, you know, oh, yeah, the teenagers are going to love my angst. He was, like, you know, really pulling from his own life. So I give him that. You know, he's a very talented songwriter. He was a, he was a good musician. So, I mean, while I, while I may have differing opinions on his personality as a person, as an artist, I, I give him a lot of credit. He, he, I mean, he, like, he was one of the forefathers of grunge, you know? I mean, Nirvana pretty much, like, you know, I've said it's big gas for rock and roll, so, you know. I used to, like, rag on his his musicianship because um, most of his songs are pretty simple. And, like, the first CD I actually bought was Bleach, and that's right around the time I started playing guitar. So, like, all the first songs I learned were, you know, Nirvana songs. But then um, my favorite, like, guitar player of all time was Vernon Reed, and uh, he talked a lot about Kurt Cobain. He even wrote a song about him. He's from the band Living Color, for those who don't know. But anyways, um, he basically said, you know, saying he's a poor guitar player is wrong he was a great guitar player because you know he even though the songs are like musically simple he still wrote like amazing songs you know within a limited scope and that in itself is the sign of like an amazing musician so after reading that my opinion kind of changed um you know he he basically knew his limits as a player but he could write excellent excellent music even within that sort of like drawing like a really cool picture with the least lines possible instead of doing like a bunch of Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld speed lines like all over the place. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty good amount. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, all in all, I mean, I would say I don't know what the world would be like with Kurt Cobain still here, but I will, I will say that we'd probably have some pretty cool music if he stayed around. I will admit that. But yeah, yeah, Kurt Cobain. Um, Again, like I said, I, I will put my personal feelings aside as far as like how I see his personality, especially with what Justin said about the uh, the the book that came out. But I, I will say that like he will be missed if nothing else for for the music, you know. I mean, not to sound all hippieish, man, for the music. <laughs> well, but in some regards, I guess he lives on through that music. I mean, you know, it's still stuff that's played on the radio all the time, and people that were were fans of of the art and the music and stuff. True, there's not going to be any you know quote unquote new music or you know, uh, like like some of these assholes, they have like you know undiscovered uh, stuff <laughs> from like out of nowhere once they die and shit like that. But um, you know, uh, I still think it's you know at least in that regard, you know, it, uh, it, it, his music didn't go anywhere. You know, I think it's still pretty much in people's consciousness, and and if people want to listen to it, it's it's still there and available for them. Unless it's Dave not... Grohl and uh, Chris Novacelli decide to be assholes and find some random Portuguese guy saying just like Kirk Cobain. 
Well, it's not it's not like like the Beatles where they like discover like some like long lost like tape where like they left a recorder on and it's, it's just them like coughing in the background and they, like, <laughs> yeah. it is like undiscovered Beatles record, you know. Like the guitar squelches and <laughs> Yeah, tuning up or something. Do you yeah. want to go get fish and chips for lunch? Yeah, that sounds good. And then you hear, like, the click of a door, and then, like, the, the record goes on for, like, another hour with nothing. <laughs> at, least, at, least, at least put some techno music with that shit. You want some fish and chips? <laughs> actually, since you brought that up, um, 94 is when they actually did that, Mike. They, uh, they, they took an old <laughs> song, and, you know, they kind of went back and, you know, did some little tweaking to it and re-released like the... it. The, the something recordings or something like that, the Abbey Road recordings or something like that, or some shit like that. I don't know. I forgot what it's called. Um, um Actually, oh, go ahead. I, I was going to say, the, the, I think the song I'm thinking of is that Free as a Bird song, but I, when I was, you know, perusing music and Wikipedia, looking for different stuff to bring up, I, I noticed 90, 94 was when they, uh, they, they brought in that, you know, new undiscovered track and put it out there for people. Cool. Um, I will actually bring this up now because of uh, Brian bringing up uh, musical influence with uh, Kurt Cobain. Uh, one thing that happened in 94 that was actually, at first it seemed like a really cool idea, but my God, did it turn into a giant commercial fuck you to like the original concept, Woodstock 94. Oh, I remember that. That <laughs> yeah. was actually, I. you know what's funny about that? Like, I think I ordered that on pay-per-view and had a bunch of friends come over and watch that with me. Hmm. And, like, I remember, I don't know, like, maybe I'm just stupid or whatever, or we just, you know, queued up the, the bands we actually wanted to see. But I remember watching people like Metallica, and I'm trying to remember who else was there, but I just remember... Uh, Nine Inch Nails was there. Nine Inch that. Nails, yeah, and they got, like, all in the mud and shit like that. Like, I just remember, like, all kinds of, you know, crazy stuff. Like, I guess, you know, to me now, I guess looking at it from a a uh, advantage perspective of living in you know 2011 and being who i am now it's not like i'd want to go to a concert and get covered in mud but like you know watching it at the time i had been to like a few concerts and i know we had discussed that in the past you know of, of different concerts we went to and you know at the very least you know at least watching it from the safety of your living room you know you could still sort of enjoy all the music that was being played and not you know roll around in the mud like all these other crazy people was yeah. 94 the one with the giant, like, Green Day mud fight? I think that must have been it. It might have been, yeah. Because I, I, I just remember people rolling around in the mud specifically, and, I, and then I also remember Metallica had a pretty good set. That's what sort of stands out <laughs> to me when Tony just mentioned that. Yeah, yeah forgive I, me, because I was a little bit older at that, point, at that point. I am, I think, the oldest fan hole. I'm not proud of that. But uh, I, I had kind of gotten my jaded goggles on at that point. And while I did appreciate the the musicians playing, I, did, I had no problem with the music. I mean, they had really good bands. They had, like, some of the top-notch artists of the time. But it was just so funny because it was like, you know, Woodstock 94 brought to you by Pepsi, you know? Right, <laughs> yeah. right, right. It was like, this kind of smacks of, like, in, insincerity, I think, you know? The only thing that I can even compare it to is... Um... Here in Iowa, they had a, a radio station called – it was 107.5, so they called it the Dot. And they had a, a like an all-day music festival that's called Dot Fest. And there's a bunch of bands, like um, some you probably know, some you don't, like House of Large Sizes was there. But uh, Everclear was there. I think that was the main headliner at the time. But I can tell you from going to that, like one day of music is enough. Like I, I could not stand like a weekend of music <laughs> or anything like that. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I thought it was like kind of a, it, it, sadly Woodstock '94 did kind of become more of a footnote because I think they did another Woodstock a few years later, and it, again it just turned into a commercial thing, like usually those concerts do. But I just thought it was funny because originally they had hyped it so much. They're like, you know, for Woodstock's anniversary, we're doing Woodstock again. It's going to be in the same place. It's going to be the same spirit of freedom. By the way, make sure you get your, you know, wrist bracelet so you can buy beer and go to the Pepsi booths and go to virtual reality and shit. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have to admit, like, this is sort of the tail end of my my adolescent love fest with MTV because, the, you know, this was probably like one of the last years, you know, I was I was going to high school and then, you know, sort of, you know, basically being in a home environment, you know, living with my parents and, and uh, you know, having cable TV and that kind of stuff. And then I remember, you know, kind of going to college and, you know, every once in a while people would send me like VHS tapes with, with shows that I supposedly loved or whatever, you know, just a bunch of stupid MTV shit. But, you know, being just in a dorm room that had no cable TV and just, you know, watching antenna TV, like eventually, you know, it sort of quickly faded from memory. But I, I remember, you know, especially... You know, 1992, 93, 94, you know, watching stuff like, you know, Beavis and Butthead and the real world, like shows like that. And then always, always having, you know, music videos on in the background. I think that's kind of where I was, you know, during that point. So to me, like the whole, you know, commercialism of of Woodstock, I could care less about, like, because I didn't I don't don't think it had any meaning for me one way or the other. You know, the name brand of it, you know, like I was just like, oh, cool, Metallica, you know, like, oh, cool, Green Day. Oh, cool. You know, whoever, you know, Jane's Addiction or whoever the fuck was there, you know, like it was like just kind of like, hey, I'll I'll listen to that and I can fast forward through all this stuff that I think is stupid, you know, so that's kind of like I said, I admit I, I definitely had jaded goggles on. I was like, you know. And on one hand, I did appreciate the music, like I said, a lot of great bands, but just, I don't know. That was just me at that point. Now, it doesn't matter to me. I don't sit there and, like, you know, fume about Woodstock while I'm at work. It's like, Woodstock 94 killed music, you know? But, right, right. Did you guys yeah. watch 120 Minutes at all? Yeah, I actually used to. Yeah, that was a good show. That used that was... to be the coolest freaking show, like, on TV. Like, uh, 94 is right when I was in um, between 8th grade and ninth grade, and... uh I just remember that was the coolest thing because it's like all alternative music at the time. And that was what was in, obviously. And I don't know. Me and my friends just watched that show religiously. Yeah, for anybody who doesn't know, MTV used to actually play music. And not only that, they actually had shows that were devoted to certain genres. They had like uh, Headbangers Ball, which was all obviously metal. They had uh, Yo! MTV Raps, which was obviously rap. And they had 120 Minutes, like Brian just said. And that was like the, the burgeoning... Uh, indie scene it had like a little bit of grunge a little bit more like even more indie than that uh i was talking about bjork the other week and like bjork was on there a lot because she was like you know all kind of out there and shit well the sugar cubes i don't know if she was bjork by then i think she was with the sugar cubes by then so yeah yeah 120 minutes was a really good thing it was like you had like the smiths and stuff like that on there Mm -hmm. i was just looking to see if i recognized any of the vjs because i just looked up the names real quick i i seem to recognize names of like the older ones from the 1980s but i don't recognize any of the names from around 94 or 95 or whatever but it looks like remember kennedy like the chick with the yeah 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 i I don't know what her real name is the first person to try meth i think because it looks like it looks like the <laughs> listing here of all the hosts on Wikipedia has just all the mostly has like the real names and stuff. It looks like, but that's cool. Um, I don't I'm know how long gonna... we're gonna go oh, on okay. with the music, but um, before we get off, I have to mention that uh, sad, as sad as it was to lose Nirvana and Kurt Cobain in '94, 
We also gained like my favorite band of all time, which is Weezer. They came out with the Blue album that year, so I kind of had an easy transition into uh, uh, more music, I suppose. Once Nirvana. Well, actually, you, you are a delayed secret brother because I I will admit I forgot who mentioned it, it was either Mike or uh, Derek, but they mentioned that as their favorite album last week. Nice. Yes, that was that was I. One of yeah. Yeah, we we were listing a bunch of music, so I got kind of you know took the the easy way out and listed a bunch of albums. But yeah, Weezer was definitely you know one of my favorite bands and albums. You know the Blue album because I I was just thinking about you know songs that I really not songs but like albums that I really liked every single song on you know because I didn't feel like you know like sometimes you could say like oh well I love such and such song you know and it's like well yeah that's great but that doesn't mean you really love the whole album you know but but Blue was one of those albums you know I could put in and that was back when I was still getting cassette tapes so that's that's it took a while for me to transition into CDs so I I would tell you that I would have you know, blue, and I'd listen to, you know, side A, and I'd listen all the way through to side B, whereas sometimes, you know, you just listen to the song you like, and then that was about it, or just buy a single, you know, on a cassette tape or something, so. Yeah, I think the Blue Album is the album I bought the most, too. I think I've bought four or five different copies, just as I uh, <laughs> scratched up the CD or whatever, but um, I remember when uh the Sweater song, you know, first had the video, and that kind of caught my eye, because... They played it double time, so it looked like they were playing in slow motion in the video, and then the dogs come in and like, oh, this band's kind of cool. But then I also they're, they're... remember it was a big deal because they had like Happy Days in the video and stuff like that. Well, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Then their second that was Buddy Holly, was Buddy yeah. Holly, yeah. and you're like, holy crap, this is the greatest band in the world. Yeah. So yeah. I was kind of hooked after that. Yeah, um, like like I said, oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say Weezer, great band, definitely check them out. Go ahead, Justin. Uh, someone else who premiered in 1994 was, uh, and he was kind of controversial at the time, and maybe he still is. I don't know. He's kind of faded away. But Marilyn Manson debuted in 1994. Huh. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, Cause I, I, I was, I was chilling with some friends in uh, the car one night. We were heading to uh, uh, downtown. We still hang out downtown. I was a, uh, I was, I guess, a neo punker wannabe back then. I had like fucking long ass hair and wore combat boots and shit. And I hadn't really never heard of Marilyn Manson. <clears throat> and, like, this uh, friend of mine puts in this tape. Tape. Again, yeah. There's it it 94 people. Just deal with it. Uh, puts <laughs> like, in you a, talking scotch tape or what? I'm, I'm confused. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just put duct tape on my radio. Um, <laughs> Check this out. Uh, <laughs> Check this like, beat. <laughs> like, <laughs> Sounds great. We're sitting there, like, cruising downtown, and uh, I hear, like, for the first time, you know, white trash, get down on your knees. It's time for cake and sodomy. And I'm like, whoa, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> <laughs> like, I have never heard this kind of shit before. So, yeah, yeah, definitely Marilyn Manson. Like, that, that was back when he was real, man. <laughs> <laughs> There's, um, like, I think it was on Total Request Live or something, but... um. Before, like, Marilyn Manson was famous, he was actually on, like, Total Request Live or some other MTV show. And, like, they actually talked to him for a second. He's like, yeah, my name's Marilyn. I'm in, you know, New York trying to get a record uh, deal for my band. We're called Marilyn Manson. But he didn't have, like, any makeup or anything on. He looked totally normal. So huh. that's that's yeah. a YouTube video you can probably look up for those interested. You can see him yeah. pre. And, pre, and uh, one more time, just to kill the uh, urban legend... Marilyn Manson is not Paul from the fucking Wonder Years. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, what? I, I, that was a big rumor at my school as well, Tony Slott. 
Yeah. Okay. Everybody was like, yeah, it's just Paul for the Wonder Years. I'm like, no, it's not fucking him, dude. <laughs> He's like Marilyn Manson's like, what would you do if I said that too? Gay on the Did he really uh, have his uh, ribs removed, though, so he could self-flatio uh, him, Tony? Yeah, I'm not that good of a friends with him, but that was oh, one okay. of the rumors. Yeah, yeah so. I just remember that rumor, too. Yeah, yeah, he he apparently had some ribs removed so he could uh, not have a boring Saturday night. Uh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um. Uh. Since Brian did drop one of the big bombs of the '94 uh, era with uh, Kurt Cobain, I I'm gonna go ahead and uh, take a second stab at it, and I'm gonna bring up the fact that O.J. Simpson didn't murder his wife and her boyfriend. <laughs> what? <clears throat> Supposedly, that's what the court says. Um, for anybody who, for some reason, has never heard of this, and maybe if you're really young, you may have not of. Uh, O.J. Simpson was a big football uh, star. He uh, gained a little bit of notoriety for being in random movies, specifically like Naked Gun and whatnot. He uh, was he was he was pretty much like an American, like you know, guy next door. Everybody was like, "Oh, O.J. Simpson, he's cool," you know. O.J. Simpson's the man. Then he goes and kills two people. I think he did personally. Uh, he called, he killed uh, Nicole Brown Smith and uh, her uh, lover at the time, Ron Goldman. And my God, during the summer of '94, you could not get the fuck away from that shit. It well, was... the, the the trial went on for a really long time. So I remember I was a junior in high school when the big car chase was first going on and of course the the verdict was not announced until i was a freshman at college um and then and then the the another funny story i have about that was uh i know i know justin has the luxury of uh having uh, awesome like $3 movie theaters and stuff like that. And these days, like everything, you know, here is like, I think I just paid like 12 bucks to go to a movie today. So like, obviously there's, there's uh, really expensive uh, movie theaters, but back in the day, uh, we used to have uh, a movie theater, you know, that like any other place would release, you know, slightly older movies, you know, a few months later. And then you, you know, you got in for much less money and uh, we always used to call it or, the, the local people, uh, you know, the kids and everybody who was around the area always referred to it as the $1.50 theater or sometimes the Buck Fitty. Like, that's what <laughs> it was called. And so we would go down there and watch movies and stuff. And I remember, you know, of course, it being three months later, uh, Naked Gun, like three and a third or whatever. <laughs> Was three, and a third. <laughs> yeah, it was, was like three months delayed. And, of course, there's that hilarious fucking scene where <laughs> they're fucking shooting the baby in the air and everything. And OJ's running around in the back. And then he finally he catches this baby, you know, that's like launched in the air. And then he does his fucking football victory dance and fucking slam dunks the baby. And <laughs> yeah, he spikes him. Yeah, he spikes him. It's the funniest <laughs> fucking thing you've ever seen but like it was it was it was really awkward like it was like it was hilarious but when i when i watched that for the first time it was like all that stuff had uh just gone down like you know it wasn't like the, the entire audience was like should we laugh right 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 it was like this funny kind of thing i was still laughing my ass off but it was kind of like i after you watched it you're like oh that was kind of weird but yeah so yeah um i mean did, i mean i know it really didn't affect any of us personally i mean it was just a trial and some of that but personally, me, again, you know, 94, I was a <clears throat> senior in uh, high school, and 
I got so jaded about it because I'm like, okay, he's fucking guilty. Can we move on? And it just took so fucking long, and I just got so tired of hearing about it. I would come home from like school, and I'd be like, you know, flipping through the channels, and like, O.J. Simpson says the glove doesn't fit. You know, Johnny Cochran says, you know, and I'm just like, oh, just fucking end already. He killed the motherfuckers, you know, and just... Uh, I mean, did it, did it get on anybody else's nerves like that? Was it just like... I think, I think there was lots of crazy crap that went on during that year. I mean, I was... You know, I, I don't remember all this stuff, like, specifically just from scratch, but just looking at research, you know, about the year 1994, I mean, that was when Nancy Kerrigan got clubbed, you know, and that's when Lorena Bobbitt, you know, was found not guilty after she lopped off uh, her husband's, you know... Snossage? Snossage, yeah. <laughs> he, was, he was a snossage-less husband. It was husband. an accident. Whoops. So, you know, I, I, I accidentally put your snossage in the middle of the highway or whatever. Yeah, like, you know, so, so, so there were lots of, like, you know, kind of, you know, crazy things like that going on. Um, you know, was I was I tired of them? You know, it's like, well, I don't know. Like, I, I tended to be focused on my own... Uh, neck of the world you know sometimes or neck of the woods or whatever like i was i was still pretty big into uh theater uh, in those you know in 1994 and and i was you know doing a lot of high school theater and stuff like that and then one of the things that stood out to me was uh it, it, 1994 was the year pulp fiction came out shit negro that's all you had to say so that was kind did, of yes. when i discovered quentin tarantino you know it's like i i remember my dad probably rented Reservoir Dogs before that came out, and I don't think I was super interested in it. Like, I sort of paid attention to it, but then I kind of went in the other room and did my own thing, like whatever I was doing, you know, drawing comics or, you know, memorizing lines or, you know, whatever it was I was doing. Masturbating furiously, yeah. Right, right. Whatever whatever <laughs> I did back in 1994. I did that too, Reservoir Dogs. So, uh, <laughs> you're, you're all, oh, wow, that's, that's weird, Brian. I got to log out. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh so uh anyway but but that i that movie had a big uh impact on me i mean i i, I definitely really liked uh pulp fiction a lot and, and then after that i was kind of like oh yeah i should i should watch you know the reservoir dogs film again and kind of got into like you know i started s slowly figuring out like oh well he screen wrote another movie I really liked that I didn't realize, which was true romance, you know? So I went, Oh, he wrote yeah. that, you know? And I go, Oh, that makes sense. That's why I liked it. You know? So I, it's sort of like me sort of discovering, you know, how you like certain creators and people, you know, the people behind what you like, I guess when you're younger, you know, when you're a kid, you just kind of go, Oh yeah, I like Spider-Man or, Oh yeah, I like star Wars, but you don't always, you know, jump to like, Oh, well, what else did George Lucas do? And then that would be a mistake anyway. But you know, like, but, but you know, the, most times that usually a positive thing where you're like, Oh, well, what else did, you know, Quentin Tarantino do, you know, and you're kind of like, Oh, well he wrote, you know, the, the script for, you know, Crimson Tide or like, you know, you, you see he wrote the script for Natural Born Killers or, you know, whatever those kind of movies, you know, were at the time. So it was like, you're like, oh, I get it, you know, and stuff like that. But, yeah, I loved that movie uh, when it came out. And I, I must have watched it like a couple times in the theater and stuff like that. And that was kind of a, a big deal to me. I remember the play I was doing at the time was Neil Simon's Rumors. And uh, there's a scene where basically the cops come in, you know, and it's supposed to be like there's, you know, basically there's a dead guy 
in the uh, in the the apartment or whatever, and everybody's like freaking out because they don't want the cops to catch them or whatever, or they think he's you know committed suicide or is about to commit suicide or I, I forget exactly how it goes, but anyway, they're they're basically trying to keep the cops out. And when the cops finally show up, they're trying to make it like, oh well, we just had loud music on because we were having a dance party. So there's this you know basically a big scene where we were faking that we're having a dance party, so everybody's dancing around, and I remember you know I was like, oh fuck. I don't like dancing. I don't want to dance. Like I like acting, but it's like, I'm, I wasn't a big, you know, dancer guy or whatever, you know, back then. And so I was like, well, what the fuck am I going to do? And then after I saw Pulp Fiction, I'm like, Oh shit, I'm going to do the Batman, like John Travolta, <laughs> you know, you know, and I'm going to do the fucking Batusi, you know, and stuff. And so basically I was just doing my John Travolta, you know, version of that, you know, and I had my hair back in a ponytail at the time because my hair was pretty long and stuff like that. And, you know, so that was basically, you know, kind of something, you know, something that influenced me in a random roundabout kind of way. But also I just, you know, I enjoyed the movie and everything. And so, yeah, so that's that's kind of something I just wanted to share for the year 1994. That had a pretty big impact on me. You know, also, I think uh, we don't even realize it, but you know what else Pulp Fiction probably influenced on this podcast? <clears throat> Angry Samuel Jackson cussing, motherfucker. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, reoccurring characters are always good. I'm um, actually on the, <clears throat> on that note. I think Brian, Mike, and Justin, and you, Derek, will probably have something to say about this because <clears throat> this is also a movie that came out in 1994 that it had a pretty good impact on me because it was a very faithful comic adaptation. But The Crow came out in 1994. Yeah, yeah, that was a pretty big deal too because that was that was you know you were, everybody was kind of like oh Brandon Lee died because of this movie and it was pretty. Big deal, and I remember I I actually went out and and got you know like a trade of the the comic before I went and saw the movie and stuff. But yeah, it was kind of almost around the same time. So because I wasn't yeah. you know I, I was more of a superhero comic book reader you know, and I I dabbled into you know some independent type stuff like Madman or you know other things like that. And then it was kind of like oh well, what's this crow thing you know? And I'm all that's oh Brandon Lee's new movie. I'm like oh I should check that out you know so. Yeah, what do you guys think about it? Do you guys uh, dig the crow? I thought it was a really great movie myself. I think I was too young to really be into that type of comic book at the time, but I I, I did enjoy the movie. And um, I remember I think we've talked about the soundtrack before, but I had the soundtrack as well. And oh, I always awesome. really enjoyed yeah, that's that. a that's a good uh, a yeah. good album, but it w- was not something I would pick as one of my favorite albums because I think it's like cheating almost. You know, it's like it's, hmm. it's yeah, like yeah, a, yeah. you know a soundtrack. So it's like you know be like saying like I listen to the Pulp Fiction album as well, like up and down. But like, to me, like those are kind of like, Oh, it's, it's like somebody's compilation of their mixtape. You know, it's like, yeah, it's it's somebody picking their favorite music. So obviously it's going to be good if you like that kind of music. Yeah. Yep. Um, I, I remember it being a big deal just because me and my cousin were big fans of like Bruce Lee movies. Like we used to spend a lot of time, like, you know, just, just watching Bruce Lee movies and just random Kung Fu movies in general. But I, I wasn't even aware of the comic until the movie came out, and I didn't even see the movie, I guess, until I was in high school. So it, it was sometime later until I actually, you know, enjoyed The Crow, I guess. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. Uh, it, just, it was just one of those movies that kind of hit me at the right time. What about you, Mike? Did you ever see The Crow? Or Yeah, I, I saw the movie. I never read the comic or anything. And, you know, I saw that, yeah, I, I basically, like Justin, I just saw it, like, in high school. And I was like, yeah, that was kind of cool, but it, it never really made any impact on me, really. That's cool. I'm going to bring up one more movie before anybody else does. 
just because I want to get my movies out of the way. And then, like, if you guys want to talk about other movies that came out that year, which there was a lot of really good movies. I had to bring this one up, though, because, dear God, you want to talk about iconic and, like, influencing, like, so many, like, catchphrases and, oh, geez, everybody saw this fucking movie. But Forrest Gump came out in 1994. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know what? I don't care what anybody says. I like Forrest Gump. It's a good fucking movie. Uh, I mean, yeah, it got kind of ran to the ground. You know, people see it 300 times and they're just like, you know, that's like a box of chocolate. And you're like, shut the fuck up. But, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but the first time you see it, like, I admit, like, uh, I watched it with my uh, mom the other day for uh, Thanksgiving. She really loves Tom Hanks. And, like, I fought back to tears this time, but in the theater, I am man enough. Didn't cry for Optimus Prime, didn't cry for Kurt Cobain, but, like, when Tom Hanks as Forrest Gump loses his shit and starts crying because Jenny died, that that I guess that actually got to me back then. That actually did get a couple of uh, tears coming out of my uh, little eye sockets. So uh, I, I actually got a little bit of love for Forrest Gump. So it's a really well crafted movie, I think. I, I like Lieutenant Dan. He kicks ass. Lieutenant Dan's so. awesome. Gary Sinise is Lieutenant Dan. Fucking awesome. Is like he's the only guy I've ever seen in a movie like get on top of a mass on a fucking boat and yell at God for fucking him over. Yeah, and I mean to cut off your legs just for a movie. I mean that's dedication as an actor. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Got to give him props for that. Motherfuckers. <laughs> I think it's pretty awesome that he grew him back for CSI, whatever the fuck he's on right now. <laughs> he's a fucking lizard. He's Doctor Kurt Connors. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, he'd, he'd um, probably be a better Kirk Connors than the asshole they got to be Kirk Connors. Yeah, right. <laughs> I just wanted to bring that up, though. Like like I said, everybody's seen it, so you don't really have to say too much about it. But it did come out in 1994, so I wanted to bring it up. Was there any other movies you guys saw? That you, yeah. Yeah, there are two comic book movies you have neglected. Well, one of them's comic book. Oh. You oh. have neglected The Mask and The Shadow. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> one I would neglect. The other one I actually like, so uh, just – Wild guess which one I'm going to go with. I like the shadow. No, just kidding. <laughs> I like the mask. Um, uh, do you have any like uh, thoughts on any of those movies? Or um, at the time, I, I really thought the mask was like a great, a great movie. Like I thought it was, you know, just hilarious. But you know, I guess over the over the years that have passed since then, I've kind of like I don't know don't find it as funny and i don't know if it's just because i've got older or if it's just because i've seen it so many times i I think it's one of those movies like the humor is very much in the moment like the first time you see the jokes they're funny the second time you see the jokes they're still funny the third fourth fifth time you're like okay i know the joke you know so yeah i just maybe maybe it's the way i do things and and who knows this may end up on a history of comics on film segment but i i remember that like I went and and bought the trade of the first Mask miniseries because I was like, oh yeah, some movie about comics, whatever. You know, like I didn't know. By, by the way, like, Derek, did you know you could read the ongoing adventures of the Mask in Dark Horse Comics? You, you can read the ongoing adventures <laughs> of the Mask in Dark Horse Comics, and and I picked up the trade. And and for me, like you mentioned, all the jokes and stuff, and how they're funny or not funny or or whatnot, but or maybe how you know it's like one of those. You know, it kind of reminds me of like the yellow tights joke in X Men. It's like, oh yeah, everybody you know, is like the first fucking time they hear it. But then, you know, you watch the movie 500 times and it's just not as funny after that first time or whatever, you know, it lost its uh, punch or whatever. But um, I I always thought that uh, 
like reading the, the the source material, I went, oh wow, this is a lot more violent, you know, because it was like yeah, a, yeah, yeah. The it was a PG thirteen you know film and stuff, and and I remember specifically you know the scene with the the uh, the animal balloons, you know, and in the movie he kind of makes all the animal balloons, and then I forget, I think he turns it into a Tommy gun, and then he you know Tommy guns the brick wall, and the guy runs away like oh I'm a goofy goof, and he runs away. <laughs> but like if you if you if you read the fucking comic book, it's like he turns it into a Tommy gun, and then the next panel is like a splash page of the guy getting like two thousand fucking bullet holes in his whole fucking body and i was just like whoa like this yeah, yeah. It, to me that had like a lot more punch to me it's kind of like a more uh sadistic joker kind of humor than a you know yeah it was like warner brothers via like martin scorsese or some shit <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. It was a, like just super uber violent but yeah really enjoyable the comic series is really good there's trades out i don't think they've really done shit with the mask in recent years but uh you can't really. You actually can't really read ongoing Adventures of the Mask in Dark Horse comics. But, I'm uh, sure they. I'm still. They sh- still have like trades and stuff of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You like can read the early uh, adventures yeah. and stuff. And then there's like the stuff where you, you, you know, if people like, uh, you know, DC comics and stuff, there's like stuff where the Joker and the Mask had a a team up book and stuff like that. Oh really? Wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah they, so like it, it was. I think it was like a four issue miniseries, but I'm pretty sure that's in like trade form somewhere. I don't know if it's like out of print or whatever, but. They, they both teamed up and stuff. You know, it was kind of like basically like what happens when the mask comes to Gotham City and then, you know, the Joker ends up wearing the mask and all that kind of stuff. So, like, lots of crazy, insane shit goes down, you know, basically. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Mike? Did you ever uh, get into the mask or the shadow? or uh, For all intents and purposes, all I'm going to say about the shadow is it's, it's right up there with the Billy Zane Phantom movie for me. It's pretty fucking horrible. Aww. <laughs> well, you, you know what I think about the shadow, the talking knife or whatever, the singy, singy, yeah. the, 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 the white ranger dragonzord knife that like floats around <laughs> like an asshole at the end. Like uh, I wasn't feeling it, but you know, it's like, yeah, no, um, I, I've seen, I've seen the map. <laughs> I like, never even to the emperor like, no, 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 no. no. I reject your premise and substitute my own. No. Uh, um, I I saw the mask and I don't I, I don't think I even saw it in 1994. I probably saw it on like video, like ev- eventually some years later. Um, I never saw the shadow, so yeah. <laughs> I, I've so, never watched the shadow. Just then, so, yeah. I am. I, I, I'm definitely going to throw it to other people. This, but like. But I'm really impressed. I did research this week, so you have to like bear with me, fan hole listeners. But this is, I think, something that everybody is going to have a little bit of sadness about. And I really did want to bring this. This is like the main thing I want to bring up on this podcast for 1994. In 1994, sorry, I'm getting a little choked up. Oh no, I think I know what you're going to say. Star Trek: The Next Generation ended its uh, seven-year run. Yeah, I thought you were going to say Tailspin ended. (laughs) <laughs> close <laughs> but uh yeah yeah star dude trek, and yeah. then those those sweet ass dura sisters got their own movie called star trek generation <laughs> five months later shit <laughs> yeah but yeah uh tng it actually kind of made me feel bad though because i had just gotten into tng probably around season four maybe five i was never really a big trekkie because I saw the 60s show, and at that time in my life, I was like, oh, God, this is so horrible. The, the special effects suck, blah, blah, blah. I've 
grown to appreciate it, obviously, in my uh, later years. But TNG, like, the first couple seasons did suck. You know, I, I've, I've often waxed poetic about, like, stereotypical, like, black people attacking Tasha Yar. And, you know, it was just not really well done the first couple seasons. I thought it was really pandering, not very – it's just cheesy. But later on, it got to be a really good series. And, you know, I think in a nutshell, all I can say is I was sad to see it go. Great send-off, though. Uh, all Good Things is probably one of my favorite finales. But just, yeah, yeah. That, I mean, I actually got a little, you know, I didn't get choked up, but I was just like, oh, you know. And then I, think- I like, you know, an hour later, fucking DS9 was on. I was like, oh, fuck Picard. <laughs> I think 1994 was like the zenith, you know, the height of Star Trek's popularity. Because yeah. I remember, you know, I was uh, I was in high school and stuff. But I remember uh, a strange thing happened because I, I sort of, was used to Star Trek being a boy's science fiction thing, you know, that I liked, you know, it was like Captain Kirk was something, you know, Oh, me and the guys would go watch a Star Trek movie. But uh, uh, to me, a funny thing happened was like, you know, girls I used to hang out with. And I remember this one girl in particular, like she loved the next generation and she'd like come over and watch it with me. Or like, she had like all the DC comics and shit like that. Like she was really into it. So it was like, it was a funny thing to me to see like, you know, other people. And I realized that, you know, cause it was like, Oh, Star Trek's on time magazine. And Oh, Captain Kirk's going to team up with Captain Picard. Like it was like at that point, you know, you had all, the old school fans like me who love the original series and were into the new series but then you had all this this new batch of people you know i guess i would say you know among the fan halls it'd be like people like you know brian and mike you know who probably didn't watch the original series as much as something like you know maybe me or justin or tony you know but it's like all those people came together to you know spend their movie dollars you know on star trek generations and you know i know that wasn't like the greatest star trek movie ever but like i think that moment in time you know all the publicity all the hype you know everything like culminated right there because oh, uh, kirk, yeah. kirk and picard sold it yeah, yeah yeah you know they they had the movie they were doing spin-off series it's like we're gonna do deep space nine we're gonna do voyager you know it was like you know that kind of thing where it was like you couldn't you couldn't get enough star trek apparently you know so yeah and paramount unfortunately ran with that fucking concept oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, what, what about you, Brian? I know you're you're a pretty decent Star Trek fan. Did you uh, get a little teary-eyed when uh, TNG ended? Um, actually, at the time, I wasn't really into it. Like, um, okay. I I kind of remember it vividly more when I was 16, which was around uh, 96, I think, because um, it was over the summer, and I remember I was in driver's education, so I had to get up like super early every day to go to school and take driver's ed, but um. Like TNG, they'd show it like from midnight to one on um, NBC, I think. So I'd stay up really late watching it, and I really got into it. But then I'd have a you know a terrible time getting up and going to class. But um, so yeah, I, I didn't really like it very much when it was on. I kind of got into it later. That's cool. Um, I know Mike, you're not a big Star Trek fan. I understand that, but and I, I'm not even sure because no offense, I know I'm not. I'm not picking on you. Just stating the fact. I know you're one of the youngest fan holes. But do you have any, like, maybe memories of uh, TNG ending, or do you just not even give a shit back then? Um, I don't, yeah, I'm, I I can't remember that well, but I don't think I gave a shit back then. I don't think I started watching, like, Star Trek until I was, like, you know, I, I, I was, like, eight years old then. So I don't think I started watching until I was, like, a preteen almost, and that was just, like, repeats of, like, Next Generation and stuff. 
he he so, was busy checking out the Scarlet Spider's hoodie and stuff. Like he had yeah. he had more important things to be concerned with than, exactly. than the end of the next generation. Yeah, yep. I, I totally understand that. That's cool. Sir, I know this may finish me as an acting ensign, but shut up, Wesley. I want um, I wanted to, before you got off movies, I just didn't wanted to say I didn't see the shadow or the mask that year, but I did see Blank Man. Nice. <laughs> Damon Wayans. It's like I, I was but trying to. You know I what? Like, I will give Damon Wayans one thing. He is ten times better than Marlon or Sean. So there is that. I, I I was just looking through the list of movies that came out that year, and like the only ones I can vividly remember seeing in the theater are The Lion King and Blank Man. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, actually, uh, I was going to bring that up. Um, yeah, Lion King did come out that year, and I brought this up again last time when we talked about Disney movies. To this point, I think somebody else eclipsed it recently, but it was the highest grossing Disney movie of all time for a while. Yeah, it's a good one. Um, it's my daughter's favorite, I think. But um, I like Tangled more now. But I don't know what movie broke Lion King's record off the top of my head. I, I think it was one of the Pixar flicks. I think it was. Um, oh, yeah, probably. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, uh, Lion King's a great fucking movie. They just got released recently on uh, in 3D for, like, two weeks. So if you, if you didn't see it, sorry. Um, <laughs> hey, go get the, get the Blu-ray and buy yourself a 3D TV, bitches. I know, right? <laughs> Um, I want to bring this up real quick because I know a lot of you may not be a fan of his, but I was a big fan of his. Um, no, nope, really, not a fan. Not a fan. Just Didn't stop. care for him. Just stop. Don't even know what you're going to talk about. But uh, don't even try, Tony. <laughs> what's, uh, what's what's the deal, Professor Chainclaw? Professor Chainclaw. Um, I didn't even adopt. No, no, I can't because because Justin is Professor. What is his name? Doctor Professor Dr. or whatever. Professor. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, in 1994, we did uh, have another passing. There was a lot of people who died, unfortunately, in 1994. A lot of people were really talented. Uh, Bill Hicks died in 1994. Great fucking comedian. He was hilarious. I don't know if you guys really know about his work. Um, just was a he, really funny guy. Was he in, like, television or stand-up comedy or, like, what? He was mainly known for his stand-up. He was, he was a very surly, sarcastic person. Basically, like... Imagine, like, George Carlin with even a worse attitude towards people. <laughs> and he was, like, really, really, like, honest. He was, like, a guy who, like, when he told his comedy, again, you know, we were talking about, like, you know, uh, Kurt Cobain, you know, you got, like, a feeling for his music. When Bill Bill Hicks did his comedy set, you got his anger, but you also got the fact that he was willing to make it into a joke. So, like I said, I didn't think any of you guys would be really big fans of him, but I did want to give a shout-out to him because he was a really talented comedian. He died, like I think, in his early... Not even his early 40s. Might have been late 30s. No, early 40s. And yeah, it was just... It was a, it was a shame and uh, I wish he could have, you know, had a longer life. He was a really funny guy. So, I just wanted to bring him up. Um, I know there's a lot of other people who died. I know Derek and Mike might bring up this person I want to let them do it. Let's see if they bring up the guy who I think they're going to bring up who died. Well, I mean, uh, it was a you know it was a big year for a lot of talented and, and uh, influential, famous people that passed away. The the you know I, I just put down a list of a bunch of people 
that sort of influenced me. You know, uh, John Candy passed away that year. He was a talented, wonderful comedian. You know, I, I loved a lot of his work. Um, you know, Cesar Romero, who played the Joker on the Batman the Animated Series, passed away. And I guess coincidentally, Olin Soul, who was the voice of Batman on most of the Super Friends and Filmation series until uh, until Adam West took over. And then he was like Professor Martin Steen after that. He passed away. Um, George Papard, who was, you know, Hannibal from the A-Team, he passed away. Uh, Peter Cushing, who was... Um, Grandma Grand Tarkin <laughs> and, and Dr. Van Helsing, like he, he passed away. And then uh, uh, Sebastian Shaw, who was uh, the real Anakin Skywalker, not that whiny <laughs> bitch bitch, he passed away. And, uh, and then, uh, of course, you know, Raul Julia um, uh, passed away as well. And he did his last movie, which was, you know, of course, you know, Street Fighter. So. <laughs> You know. Well, I'm I'm surprised. I mean, Mike might might actually take you to task on this if he uh, jumps in. But I thought you would have brought up Jack Kirby dying. Yeah, Jack Kirby passed away as well. Yep. yep. Yeah, was... Jack Kirby died. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, Jack, Jack. Like I I wrote a bunch of stuff down. I was just kind of randomly going through. Oh no, it's fine. Yeah. All those were like yeah. I like uh, Tony. I like how you like Mike might jump in to say this, but I'll say it first. <laughs> but I'm not gonna let him. <laughs> well, but I'm not gonna let him. I'm gonna take your thunder, motherfucker. Um, actually, a lot of the people you didn't mention uh, were people I mentioned. Uh, well, not mentioned, but I had my notes. Uh, Cesar Romero, Raul Julia. Um, one, one I was gonna bring up. I don't know if Justin or Mike was gonna bring him up. I, I could let you guys. Do you guys have dead lists that you were gonna bring up? No, I, I did not make a dead list. I, I started to, and I was like, uh, it feels like I'm writing in a death note or something. No, I think when I just took notes of it, it was like not not so much to, to say like, oh, these people passed away, but just to remember all the awesome things, you know, whether it's, you know, Grand Moff Tarkin and his slippers, you know, and refusing to wear shoes or, you know, Jack Kirby, you know, doing a bunch of cool, you know, panels of the silver surfer or whatever you know things like that you know so like that's that was kind of my my I, thinking yeah, what, tony uh, i i might know someone you were gonna mention i i would written down that chris lotta died that year too yeah yep, uh, star scream slash cobra commander yeah yep actually uh the one guy i was gonna bring up uh was actually in the same vein we're kind of secret brothers not the same person but the same uh tv show slash I guess you say franchise. Lionel Standard died that year. Uh, the voice of Cup in the movie. Uh, yep. 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 A lot what of else sad. did he do? Like I've always been curious. Outside he of he was Cup. on Hot to Hot. He was uh, Max on Hot to Hot. <laughs> okay. Like That's for the longest time, I thought the uh, like the dad on um, Frasier sounded so much like Cup. Like I thought that was his voice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Same thing. Yeah, he was uh he was he he was he was an old school actor. He was he was kind of in the same uh realm as Robert Stack, even though Robert Stack had, you know, unsolved mysteries, so he kinda hit a later uh generation of viewers. But yeah. Lionel Sander was like, yeah, pretty much a mainstay during the forties and fifties, maybe even the sixties. But yeah, he was he was he he was a character actor. He wasn't somebody that like, you know, you wouldn't put him with like the Robert Redfords or the Clark Gables or some of that, but he he did his he did his job very well I would say I guess you'd say. Mm-hmm. 
Another notable it, for uh, Sebastian Shaw would be besides playing Anakin, he also co-founded the uh, Hellfire Club. So, just wanted to <laughs> <that out. laughs> and for some reason, he turned into Kevin Bacon later on. <laughs> I don't know why He's I always getting start. replaced <laughs> <laughs> with younger, more handsome actors. CGI. Oh, one thing I did find out that I think everybody could jump in on this one. I will let you guys do this because I keep bringing up topics. I apologize. Like I said, I'm so happy with my research this week. I actually feel good about myself for once. Um, Spider-Man: The Animated Series debuted in 1994. Yeah, that Mary was- Jane. Mary Jane. <laughs> that that was a big deal for my childhood. Oh yeah, yeah. That was it was, that a, was, it was like... a big deal for me because the Clone Saga was in the comics, and so by by default in retrospect, it was just like what real Spider Man? It's Peter Parker and not all this clone shit. Yay! <laughs> like that was kind of how I looked at it. Even though now I kind of look at some of the episodes and I, I yuck it up about you know how the animation was kind of. You know, they, they cut corners and costs and stuff like that, and so I can kind of yuck it up at it now. But at the time, it was kind of, you know, just, just kind of in, in the same way how when Batman the Animated Series came out, it was kind of ideal because for people who read the comics, you know, you were stuck with, like, Asbats or, you know, Scarlet yeah. Spider or whoever, and you just kind of went, oh, can I please have, like, normal, regular fucking Spider-Man, please? And that that was basically the closest thing you were going to get to... Uh, normal spider-man at the time so well it's funny like that and something else i'll mention later uh like when when that came out it started my like awareness of things that were new kind of like i don't know how best to explain this but like it, it started my awareness of things that like i was around when they started basically like I, I'm going to mention this later pretty much, but like for, for a long time, I thought of comic books as just something like in a library where you just like, like I only thought like back issues existed basically. And it was kind of like the same way with cartoons. But like when this, that Spider-Man show came out, I was like, Hey, I only know this from like, you know, Spider-Man and his amazing friends. And, you know, I thought that cartoon had always been around and I'm like, and you mean there's a new Spider-Man cartoon? You know, I was like, <laughs> what? You know, it's like, I, I just, thought there was like an infinite amount of repeats to watch or whatever, you know? I didn't know they could make new shit with this crap. What yeah, the hell? I, I like your I like your universe better, Mike. I just want to go into the Earth <laughs> XYZ where there's infinite repeats of there's Spider-Man infinite... and his amazing friends. There's always yeah. a new adventure with Miss Lion and Firestar awaiting <laughs> the, the you around the corner. Yep. Oh, like I said, for years I always thought that Iceman had to turn into a big ass block of ice and bust out of it before he could do anything. So I agree. <laughs> Um, yeah, Spider-Man is like, uh, I mean, it's easy to pick on it now because it it's over 10 years old. So, I mean, you can pick on it, but it was it was really important to a lot of people because when I saw it, I was like, oh, my God, you know, like I can watch the ongoing adventures of Spider-Man in animated form from Marvel Comics. So. Yeah, it might have been due to my age at the time when it first came on. But that was the first cartoon where I really started getting annoyed that they had like the same clothes every day. It's like, wash your freaking clothes, you know? No, I, I don't think it was just you. It was like, Peter Parker, get a new fucking shirt, please. Well, Mary Jane, especially, like, her outfit was like, ugh, she, change your clothes. Yeah, you're like, you're like she's a supermodel, but she only has that one yellow fucking sweater. Yeah, that one <laughs> sweater and the pink little turtleneck thing. 
Yeah, you're like, Peter Parker, it's 90 degrees outside. Take off the fucking leather jacket, okay? <laughs> Bomber jackets that, are cool and shit, that, but you're fucking hot, dude. <laughs> that that might have been the first show where I first started noticing, like, stock animation, too. Like, yeah, I was like, there's, didn't well, I there, there was this? plenty of it to notice, so. Yeah. <laughs> plenty of, plenty of missing frames as well, you know? I'd wave hello at you, and, you know, you'd be like two frames of animation or something. <laughs> um yeah yeah like yeah but it was it was still i mean it was what it was but it's still yeah it brings back good memories like like i said we reference morbius more often than we should so the plasma well that's that, that's an interesting thing to bring up about the 90s or at least 94 because it seemed like standards and practices especially on like the big networks were really huge then you know it's like batman could not throw a punch spider-man yeah. was basically nerfed like he had to assault you with his fucking ass otherwise he couldn't <laughs> actually like hit somebody you know and batman i guess had the graces to you know if, if like they panned to like a shadow on the wall he could actually hit somebody in the face but most times batman would just pick people up and go you know and that's all he really did to like criminals and shit you know, yeah. <laughs> you just, you know you, we talk about smallville and how Superman always, you know, throws away his problems, but Batman certainly had to do that because of standards and practices. It'd be like, you know, Kevin Conroy made a career of, of making that noise, you know, so. Yeah, like fucking Punisher when he should have been Spider-Man. It's like, Battle Van, give me my glue gun. Spot Punisher. I always, I used to like always think like in that show where like Spider-Man would just shoot a web line and it would stick to someone, but then he'd just wait there while that someone grabbed the web line, pulled him in, and then threw him away. <laughs> like, like I was like, aren't you gonna do anything? Like the web itself isn't gonna hurt them. Like he just like webs them, and, like nothing happens. Web, do your like... thing. And then like, inst- and, and then the villain will like the the scorpion or the lizard or whatever. The villain will pull the web line, grab Spider-Man, and then just throw him away well you know because spider was trying to position position his ass just right to like (laughs) smack into them you know but it didn't work out you know you know what cartoon didn't suffer from that i think oh yeah the tick debuted in 1994 the tick did debut in 1994 (laughs) oh yeah uh if you guys do not know what the tick is i know it's kind of fallen by the wayside in later years Brilliant fucking comic series. Great cartoon. Basically, if you know anything about superheroes, if you're a comic book fan, they will mock it in front of your face and they will make you laugh about it because you're like, oh, wow, comics can be fucking silly sometimes. <laughs> and it was, I, I love the tick. It was it was one of my favorite cartoons. I, I was so sad. I think it lasted maybe two seasons, maybe. Yeah, two seasons. Yeah. But it was it was it was awesome. I, I still I think one of my favorite episodes. It wasn't 1994 season. It was it was the second season. But uh, I love the sewer urchin episode where the urchin became badass. It was like he he was like down in the sewers and like tick at one point. He's like you're cool down here. <laughs> it just I don't know. That was that was like a great cartoon. Do you guys remember the tick? I mean I know you yeah, do. Yeah, uh, I, I yeah. Love the tick. Um, during that Fox you know Saturday lineup, it was like. Me and my brother would watch the same cartoons, and you know we we watched Spider Man and X Men and Tasmania. And my brother loved all those shows too, but for some reason he he didn't like the Tick. So whenever the Tick would come on, he would just get up and leave and go play with his toys or something. So I was just <laughs> like, "What? You're you're missing the best cartoon on this block, man. It's the Tick. He's great." Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it was it, it was an older show. I think I think this was one of the reasons why it failed. I guess in the long run. 
it really did have a more of an adult sensibility. If you had more of a mature sense of humor, if you grew up with comics, you're like, I get all these fucking jokes, you know? <laughs> so I guess that's why it wasn't as popular, but it was still silly enough. I don't, I don't know. It, it, it really hit the middle ground. I thought, I thought it would have been a lot more popular than it was. So. Well, I think it had that same kind of mentality that, that animaniacs did really, you know, it's like, yeah, I guess young kids could try to watch it, but it definitely skewed to that sort of teen demographic, I think, you know, mm-hmm. like where, you know, even on Animaniacs, you know, the humor was a little, you know, hello, nurse, you know, and all that kind of, you know, stuff where you're like, hey, this is a little, little risque, a little, you know, a little bit more than you're used to, you know. So. My, my favorite one of those Animaniacs bits were, would be like when they were playing the piano or something, and the guy would be like, I'm a pianist, a pianist, and Yaka would be like, good night, everybody. Yeah, good night. <laughs> so I, I would always out. <laughs> Yeah, I would always laugh at that, but my brother would be like, "What's so funny about that?" And I'm like, uh, "I'll tell you when you're older." Yeah, there's right. a really good line with like Prince on the show, but I can't remember it right now. But like, it was like super, you know, risque. Yeah, I think I remember. Yeah, he he like he like showed up for some reason, like Prince did. Yeah, because they 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 often tended to poke fun at celebrities and stuff. So yeah, I wanted um, to. Well, yeah, I wanted to, well, maybe this could be a, a transition of sorts, or well, we're we're still on the same topic. But I mentioned like comics and stuff, and uh, Transformers Generation Two was in full swing at this point, and uh, like much like the Spider-Man the animated series, uh, Transformers Generation Two the comic was the first time I was like, what they make new <laughs> comics. You know, and then like I, this is when I started to like like I was like, so these racks on the wall are new comics? What? You know, <laughs> and like I, I would always just be looking in the boxes and stuff because I'd like find like buried treasure and stuff. But then I'd be like, oh, what are, what are all these? You know, and I was like, I'd be like to the guy, like, hey, you mean these racks on the wall? These are comics that just came out? What? You know. But, the entire 1994 year for Mike was just like the whole new world song from Aladdin playing his head. <laughs> Zach. I can show you new comics. <laughs> uh, G2 was pretty good. Uh, what what, what uh, did you like about G2? And Flash. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, but the Transformers Generation 2 was probably like the first comic I like bought month to month, I think. Well, it wasn't your father's Transformers. Exactly. No, it wasn't. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, it actually, I mean, you know, it was really funny. They used it as a tagline, and it was supposed to be, you know, a hype thing. You know, this isn't your father's Transformers. Rawr, bitch ass. But, like, in all honesty, it was a really much more mature storyline than the uh, previous series. So, I mean. Yeah, I love G2. <laughs> except, except for the crappy art in some places, I love G2. Yeah. <laughs> I did a quick um, YouTube scan, and I found the Animaniacs clip I was talking about. Um, basically, uh, they're telling Dot to go uh, dust for prints, and um, like fingerprints. But then uh, she comes back with prints, and she's like, I found prints. And uh, they're like, no, fingerprints, fingerprints. And then like Prince gives this really like goofy oh, smile, goofy like they're going smile. to fingerprints. So. <laughs> <laughs> that is a little ribald, if I may say <laughs> Nice. Um, I am going to bring something I don't know a lot about. I think some of you are bigger fans of. I just happened to notice this. So whatever you want to talk about, run with it. But I did see this. Babylon 5 debuted in 1994. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, you a big fan, Justin? Yeah, I it, it I wasn't watching it during the premiere. It took me like m- maybe a season or two before I actually got into Babylon Five because it's one of those shows where you you have to start from the first episode and watch continuously. Otherwise, you have no idea what the hell's going on. So. Yeah. A few years later, when they started rerunning it on uh, TNT, I finally was able to like get into know with it, you know. But I, I really love Babylon Five. I think it's a great science fiction series. Cool. Anybody else? Uh, Babylonian? I don't know what the fuck the fans are called. <laughs> Derek, are you in on that with the box lightener being on there? Uh, you know what's funny is like when when it came on, like I wasn't that into it because I was already kind of watching like all the Star Trek stuff. So, and then I I remember I tried to watch an episode that had Chekhov on it, you know. And even then, I I, I totally I didn't get into it very much. Um, and then like Justin said, if you sort of watch it from the beginning, like I remember it, they eventually started airing it on a sci-fi channel. And I think this is back when I was like looking for stuff to watch. So I kind of started rediscovering things, you know, I started, uh, you know, I was like, I think it was probably like 99, 2000 or something where they were, you know, rerunning it on the sci-fi channel. And I sort of watched it from, you know, they, they had one of those new, you know, direct-to-video movies of Babylon 5, and then they were airing, like, all the different episodes. So I watched most of them. I really like the Shadow War, when, like, when they got to that point. Like, I thought it was kind of cool, you know, and everything. But I I don't have much memories of it. You know, I think I watched it the one time and was still kind of like, okay, maybe this isn't, like, as, you know, bad as I thought or, you know, as un- maybe it wasn't, like, you know, because I think back then when it premiered, I was kind of uninterested in it. And I went, oh, you know, maybe I should rethink that, you know. And so I did try to give it a watch. And, you know, when I sat through the whole thing, I, I remember really enjoying the, the Shadow War part of it where I was like, yeah, now it's getting good. Now they're like fighting people and shit. And this is cool, you know. But before that, it kind of was like a wait for me. You know, it was kind of like, you know, it was like, oh, kind of like how I say like Deep Space Nine. Like I can't pinpoint like what season that was. But, you know, with Deep Space Nine, I can say, hey, you know what? The first three seasons are kind of ho-hum. And by the time they get to season four, it like rocks on till about season seven, you know. And so like with, with Babylon 5, I don't know when the Shadow War started, whether it was like season three or four or five or whatever it was. But once they got to that, I was like pretty into it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I kind of have same feelings about Babylon 5. I never really got into it. It seemed like a good alternative. But at the same time, I was like, you know, I was more wrapped up in the Star Trek. So I didn't really have time to watch it, if that makes sense. I was like, oh, I'm getting my sci-fi feel right now, so I don't need more shit, you know? Mm-hmm. It wasn't it wasn't that it was a bad show. It was just, you know, and I will say this right now. It's like a lot of people either love or hate Babylon 5. I'm just kind of ambivalent toward it. It's like, you know, I don't think it's a bad show. I think a lot of the people really enjoy the characters. But the few episodes I watched, I was like, eh, Chekhov's got a bad hairpiece. And Garibaldi's kind of like a fat Bruce Willis. I'm just not into it, you know? <laughs> yeah, that was just me, though. I, was like, I know a lot of people really loved it. So, you know, I mean... I have nothing bad to say about it. I think it was one of those shows, like Justin said, if you got in on the ground floor, totally into it. So. Yeah, and I think I think with the supporting cast, I think kind of Brian, you probably hit the the nail on the head for me. Was you know Captain John Sheridan was the guy I wanted to you know follow the further adventures of in the comics, or you know what I mean? Like he was the guy I paid attention to the most on the show. So it was like there were periods kind of like with Cisco, where like oh you know, Captain Sheridan's, like, gone, like Mary Jane. Mary Jane! 
happened and we don't know where the fuck he is. And then when that happened, I'd be kind of like, where's my anchor? You know, who who can I follow on this show now? You know, because it's like they, the captain vanished and stuff like that. So, yeah, they did. They did kind of pull like a, a Fox Mulder thing on there, didn't they? They like took away him for a couple episodes and he was just kind of gone or some shit. Yeah. So that was to me, that was kind of like I was like, oh, like, what do I what do I do now? You know. Um, I, I was gonna bring this up just because it was kind of a hometown thing. I don't know if you guys really gave a shit because not being in your area, I can understand not being such a big deal. But I do live in South Carolina. Yes. Oh my God, the entire internet knows where I live. And in 1994, Shannon Faulkner became the first female cadet at the Citadel, a all male academy, and promptly left the fuck out of there in a couple of months. <laughs> And it was a really big deal around here because it wasn't it, it, it took very nasty turns. It was like, you know, you know, sexism is like, oh, we don't want women here and stuff like that. And then, like, it was kind of funny because, you know, when they accepted her, they were like, we're going to treat you like we treat every cadet. And she couldn't handle it. And it didn't really turn to a sexism thing. It was like you almost were kind of like almost on the Citadel side because they're like, we have a very tough regimen. And we don't prefer men over, you know, women. It's not like a sexism thing. It's just that, like, men seem more capable of doing this. And it's been this way for a reason. You know, it was really a gray area. Like, did you, I mean, I'm sure you guys maybe heard about it a little bit, right? Yeah, I, I heard about it. I remember it being kind of a big deal around here, too. You know, obviously not as big as it is in your area, but I do I do remember it when it was happening. I, I have been told that uh, women's belong in the kitchen, but I don't know if I agree <laughs> with that, though. <laughs> I, I just think she was looking for media attention. I don't think it was really about, like, you know, her right for, like, you know, freedom. I think she was just like, oh, this has never been done before. I'm going to do this. I don't know. Well, when you're talking about, like, the strength of a woman, are you rating her, like, on sandwich-making strength? or <laughs> <laughs> How do you measure that? How many loads of all... laundry can be carried? <laughs> yeah. I think you measure it on, on how many jars of uh, pickles she can open up. Because I know you're sitting there going, I can't open this motherfucker. And then, you know, like your mom or your sister or whoever, your cousin comes over and just bangs the pickle jar on the floor. And then it's like, pop. So it's like, you know. I, well, like I said, I mean, and trust me, I, I understand the, like, you know, jibes and the, the jokes. But, like, I mean, I just, I, I just think that she was somebody who is not the, the best candidate for that. I think. Right. I'll, I'll go on to something that's a little bit more uh, fun. And I know some of you guys will know about this because it's a hilarious show. And this is actually my last note of the, the fucking show. So you guys can talk about whatever you want under this. Space Ghost Coast to Coast debuts in 1994. Was anybody else a fan of this show? Outer space shows are for children and stupid people. I love that oh, show. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, for anybody who they don't run it run it anymore on Adult Swim, Space Ghost Coast to Ghost was great. They basically took stock footage of Space Ghost and his plethora of enemies like Zorak and uh, Moltar and uh, Brack, and they they did it in a talk show format. Basically, it was great. Uh, the the guests never really showed up in person. They actually were lowered down on a TV screen. You had Macho Man Randy Savage. You had Carrot Top. You had just insane guests on there. And it was completely nonsensical. It was 
stream of consciousness comedy. But I, I would like to think, I mean, I could be wrong, but I think that's what kind of brought the uh, idea of Adult Swim to Cartoon Network. Yeah, it was pretty much the first kind of show like that. It was, it was hilarious. It was just so much. I mean, you can look it up on YouTube. There's plenty of clips up there. Just really good shit. I mean, what about you, Justin? I know you're probably a big fan of it too, right? Yeah, I, I, I was trying to think. It's probably one of the first late-night shows that I would actually stay up and watch. You know, like I – you know, I didn't want to wake up my parents or anything, so I would, you know, kind of sneak and watch it and turn the volume down kind of low, and, you know, something hilarious would happen, and I'd end up laughing and giving myself away. But, uh, yeah, I, I loved it. Like, um, before that, I mean, I was aware of Space Ghost just from, you know, his 15-minute, uh, you know, 60s adventures. Um, back in the day uh, when Cartoon Network was first starting out, they used to have this two-hour block of shows called uh, Super Adventures, and it would be... You know, Space Ghost, Birdman, Mitor, Herculoids, Galaxy Trio, all those shows in a big two-hour format. So when this Space Ghost came – when this new Space Ghost show came on, I thought it was just going to be like his new adventures or something. So when I turn it over there and I see it's like a talk show, I'm like, what? What is this? Are they going to make fun of Space Ghost? I don't know about this. But I I gave it a chance, and I got hooked. Yeah. It, it, it was really well written, and it went on for more than a few seasons. I mean, I think there's like three seasons, I think. More than that, there's yeah, like way more than yeah, that. there's like a hundred and something episodes. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I mean, it was a stable of Adult Swim when it first started, so yeah, it, it inspired the Brack Show, which I didn't really find as funny, but that's just me. Oh, but uh, I kind of like the Brack Show more, to be honest. Really? Yeah, I yeah. like the Brack Show. I like the Brack Show. I, too. I, I love freaking. Like it. I love his father. His father. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> his his midget Latino father. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, it wasn't bad. I just, I mean, I like Space Ghost, Coast Coast more. I didn't hate the Brack show. I just, I don't know. I think it is as much. But uh, it, it's again, you know, a matter of uh, you know, appreciation what you like and what you don't like. But yeah, I I, I think my favorite Brack thing, and I don't even know if this was on coast to coast or, or his show or not uh, but i just remember the segment it was like something they would cartoon network would play as kind of a commercial you know but it would be like brack and freddie prince jr in a truck and they were singing driving down highway 40 in the big old pickup truck like that's that's my favorite brack thing ever like that cracks me up every time i watch it I was just gonna say, I, I just, I just remember the episode of Brack when uh, I think it was like Zorak hypnotized his mother and like stole her away from father, and like father and Zorak have like this shotgun, piss, like rocket launcher fight, and they're just standing right next to each other, shooting at each other, and they're not hitting <laughs> each other, and like father's like Zorak, your wife stealing butas. <laughs> Well, I, the the one the, the one character I really loved on uh, the Bragg show was uh, who was the big armored guy? Oh, uh, Thunderclees. Thunderclees, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like and just because he always he always like scream out like I am Thunderclees, <laughs> just for no reason. It was, it was good times. I don't know. Um, not not to derail us and since your notes have ran out, Tony, but an- another show that was somewhat long-running that premiered in 94 was Friends. You did indeed, yeah. And you know what? I, I, I you know, maybe me and you are secret brother this week. I have no problem with Friends. I thought it was a really good show. 
I remember that was extremely popular uh, the following year when I was uh, in the college dorm rooms. Like you could, we, you know, I, I remember when I first got there, my freshman year, uh, the two dorms were Rosecrans and I think it's, was Doheny was the girls dorm or something like that. And, you know, they're right across from each other and, you know, that whatever time that was on, you know, 8 p.m. or whatever, when Friends was on, you know, it was like, you know, you could look across the way and see in all the little fish bowls, you know, all the little dorm rooms you know, that had the curtains open. They all fucking were watching Friends. And you could do the same thing with like the guys, you know, like look at all the little fish bowls and, you know, uh, you know, a good 90 percent of the, the windows had Friends on. So I remember just kind of looking at it going, wow, like everybody watches this fucking show. Yeah, it, it was really popular for a long time. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, it was it was pretty good stuff. I mean, I mean, I I, I hate to admit this, but I actually did get into the whole Ross and Rachel thing because, like, hey, well, Ross was a nerd <laughs> and he got the hot chick. How could he not love that? Just in theory, anyway. I I, I liked that for the first two or three years, but then. I kind of got to see they were doing – they were using that as their season finale for each season, so I got really sick of that <laughs> pretty quick. But other than that, I, I enjoyed Friends. It's kind of like, yeah, like Clark and Lana. Yeah, they're like, does Ross fuck Rachel? He's already fucked her, Jesus Christ. Again? Yeah. <laughs> they got married like three times on that fucking show. <laughs> Are they going to get married? Yes, they will get married. <laughs> Hey, I don't know about you guys. I just like Smelly Cat. That's what's up. <laughs> what well, are they I... feeding you? Smelly you Cat. Remember? It's not your fault. Remember, remember the Rachel haircut? I went out and got one of those. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding. Dude, you gotta you gotta love though. Uh, uh, at least Joey finally was on a popular fucking show. Like he could have been like the the Ted McGinley of TV shows or something, but he he actually got onto a really long running successful show, and I'm I'm happy for Joey because of that. Because remember when he when when he was like on that spinoff for Married with Children and stuff, and like I don't know, I just remember like all those like shows before that. So I'm like, good going, Joey. Way to go. I, I think Joey is actually going to do a uh, random cameo voice on uh, "Beware the Batman," oh. <laughs> just on Ted McKinley. <laughs> no, I, I do feel bad for Joey though. I don't even know his fucking real name. What's his fucking real name? Matt LeBlanc. Matt LeBlanc. Yeah, Joey bombed hard. It was not a ninety ninety four topic at all, but Joey. Ooh. I, all I was going to say was there was that that one. Uh, it was I, I forget what it was called, but it was supposed to be like the my I don't know some kind of you know uh, I, I should look it up. But it's like one of those shows that was like the spinoff of Married with Children and had um, the the chick that was in Chasing Amy, you know, uh, Joey Lauren Adams. Yeah, so like she was like you know, always like this supposed to be like the 16 year old girl that was coming over. And he's always like, Hey, if I do her, I'll get put in prison. Ah! You know, like it was supposed <laughs> to be like hilarious or something, but you know, anyway, like that show obviously didn't last very long, but you know, it was like one of those things where, you know, there were all those shows that like he had been on, you know, it's like he was trying to, you know, get a break on one of these, you know, TV shows or whatever. And most of them never really took off, but you know, obviously, like, by the time he was on this, I was like, oh, hey, there's that dude from Married with Children. Like, he finally got into a real, a cool, you know, like, he actually got his own show that doesn't suck and is making money for him. 
You know. So is the name of the show Statutory Rape is Funny? <laughs> no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look this up now while you guys are bullshitting because I want to remember what the hell it's called. <laughs> Statutory Rape is Funny. Oh! <laughs> um, I'll, I'll just bring up something while Derek is looking that up. Um, something that I, I was really into at the time, and it, this was, 94 would be its second season, but the second season of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers debuted, and I, I was still really into that, like, when they did their little opening thing where, you know, the, the dinosaurs got destroyed and Lord said was there. Like, uh, that was a big, kind of a big deal to me. Yeah. Yeah. I remember yeah. they showed it, like, at on prime time, like, the premiere of that season. Like, I, yeah. I, I remember, like, getting to – I guess it was, like, only on at 8, but I guess that was, like, late for me because I was only, like, 8 years old. <laughs> so I was, like – I got to, like, stay up and watch that. Yeah, so – Apparently they tried to retool it a couple times, but originally it was called Top of the Heap, and that had Joey Lauren Adams in it. And then eventually they tried to to sell it as a totally different show called Vinny and Bobby, but it was with like all the same characters and stuff. So if anybody's wondering what the hell I was talking about, that's uh, that's what I was talking about. <laughs> hey, remember that one Space Trek episode where your show got canceled? Remember that one? All right, cool. We have uh, kind of delved into the realm of 1994. We uh, had a couple of video games, a couple of movies we were going to go over, but I mean, really, we've done a pretty good job, I think, of uh, encapsulating the uh, 1994 year in review. I, I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. We've gone over a lot of stuff, a little bit of uh, controversy. Uh, send all your angry emails to fanholespodcast at gmail.com if you. Uh, feel that we uh me may have said something that was controversial on the other hand uh we do have something that's incredibly positive and current something awesome this week this is where we talk about really honestly just something that's really cool that's going on in our lives right now uh movies video games action figures what have you so i want to just throw it out here at random i'm gonna go with mr mike thunderwing what is something awesome in your weakness right now um I just got um, the hardcover of Iron Man the Iron Age in the mail. I, I don't think it's actually called Iron Man. I think it's, it's just called the Iron Age. But basically it's a miniseries that kind of came out and it, it didn't really like make a lot of waves or anything. It just was kind of, it came out and like, you know, left with a, with, with nary a whisper. But uh, I, I, I it's it basically, it's, I, it's Tony Stark. He gets sent through time uh like the and he has to like you know save the universe and all that and he like he has to go to different eras in in marvel history and like find pieces of doctor doom's time machine to get him back home and uh i really enjoyed the heck out of it uh it was like every issue was like written and drawn by someone different and uh like you know to to like capture that time period a little bit and uh it it was just like a really fun like story and the thing I liked most about it is, um, this is like, I know I kind of mentioned like in the side cast and stuff like I, how I dropped Invincible Iron Man and, you know, it just didn't feel like right anymore. And this, this series kind of like, uh, pointed out or like, you know, like kind of reminded me of another reason why, like I started to like dislike Invincible Iron Man is that like the Tony Stark I read about in this miniseries feels more like classic Tony Stark to me like it seems like ever since like the movies and stuff they like especially in Invincible Iron Man they're trying to make like Stark a little more like 
Downey Jr.-ish, I guess, you know? And, like, the, the Iron Man in this story doesn't seem like like a schmuck, I guess, you know? Like, he, he actually seems to, like, know what he's doing, and you know? It, I don't know. It, it just it read right to me in whatever case, you know? And, uh... You know, it's it's a real it's a really fun read. Like he 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 goes and he like meets all these heroes that are supposed to be dead. Like in certain times, like he meets like Johnny Storm and Nightcrawler and the Wasp, and he's just like, oh, I should tell them that they're gonna die. But then he's like, oh, but I can't because it's like time travel. And you know, even though like Marvel time travel doesn't work like that, you know, he still has to like follow the rules. So and uh, I just wanted to mention like uh, like. The, my favorite issue and my favorite part of this whole story is um the issue where he goes and teams up with like Johnny Storm and like like the seventies. Well, you know, obviously it couldn't it couldn't really be the seventies, but you know, uh, Marvel seventies. And he, he teams up with Johnny Storm and has to fight Doctor Doom to find like the missing uh, time machine piece. And like it was kind of charming in a way, but like. Tony, like, gets captured by Doctor Doom, and, like, it's, Doom is, like, characterized in sort of the way he'd be characterized in the 70s, where it's, like, it's, like, before Batman, like, Black Panther, Doctor Doom prep time was invented, pretty much, like, you know, where, like, Doctor Doom would know everything about anything, and so... Like, Doom doesn't know he's Iron Man, and he can't, he doesn't, like, suspect it, and, like, uh, like, Tony's able to, like, talk his way out of it by, like, just acting, like, all, like, you know, uh, like, Bruce Wayne-ish, kind of, I guess, like, foppish, <laughs> and, you know, like, a total, like, you know, know-nothing, and, like, Doom is, like, so frustrated by this, he's, like, um, this is, like, my favorite, like, moment in this whole series. Doom is, like, you know, the vaunted genius of Stark Enterprises is nothing more than some shallow figurehead, and, you know, and, uh, the way he's behaving, and, like, Doom, like, walks away, and he's, like, this just shows, like, uh, this is a valuable lesson for Doom to to remind him of the dangers of alcohol. (laughs) 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 <laughs> but that that just made me laugh a lot. But in case you know, Doom it, was thinking of having a, a wild night with uh, what's her nuts, uh, Morgana or whatever, and some yeah. some ancient ancient uh, uh, wine or chateau or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I was going to kill this bottle of Arbor Mist, but fuck that. <laughs> who, who wrote that, Mike? Uh, it's written by like six or seven different people, but uh, Christos Gage is one of them. Oh, cool. uh, yeah, um, hang on, let me just. The book's like right. Oh, never mind. Actually, the book was right there, but I put it away somewhere, so I forgot where. But yeah, it's written and drawn by like six or seven different people. Like each issue is done by a different creative team. I know uh, what's his face, Todd uh, Nock did one oh, issue okay. and. Uh, uh, what do you call uh, Luis uh, Simonson? Actually, I think wrote one of the issues too. Nice. Well, and, yeah, it's uh, like yeah. they got a bunch of different. Yeah, good, like good I, I guess to represent book. each era and okay. stuff. I see. Yeah, I know Ron Friends drew one issue. Uh, um, I'm trying to think. That's about all I can remember. But yeah, it it was. Basically, you're saying if you if you like old school Iron Man, some good shit. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm saying. It really, it was a fun little romp. Yeah. Cool, cool. Awesome. Um, I want to go to on our awesome thing. This week, I want to go to Justin. What's something awesome in your world right now? Well, I read um, 
Fantastic Four issue 600 uh, this week, and I thought it was really great. Um, I know I've talked about Hickman's run of Fantastic Four on a previous podcast, and I, you know, I'll just kind of reiterate some of that. You know, I've really enjoyed what he's done with Fantastic Four since he took over. You know, he he seems to genuinely love the characters and know the history backwards and forward. And um, issue 600 kind of brought together several years worth of story building it seems like several different plot points just kind of together at one big giant meeting and there's there's all kinds of crazy things going on like dr doom's been captured by you know two of the uh richards from the different universe and the kree are attacking new york and there's something going on going on with the inhumans and uh, just a whole bunch of other stuff going on but it, it was really a great issue cool cool I'm always good to have uh, current comics on the uh, podcast. Uh, I want to go to our good friend Brian on this one. What's something awesome in your world right now? Um, this week's awesome thing for me is a video game. Surprise, surprise. Um, Skyrim has been taking over my life as of late. Um, <laughs> that, that seems to be an infection going across the internet right <laughs> yeah. now. Yes. Brian, as, as we are talking right now, Brian, both my roommates are playing it in separate rooms. It is a pandemic. We need the CDC on the stat. But um, it's kind of interesting because the last six weeks or so have been like, I don't know, one of the best times for video game fans. We've had a lot, lot of like AAA titles come out um, just from stuff I pre-ordered. And this was like week by week by week, one of these games came out. It was like Battlefield 3 came out, Modern Warfare 3 came out, Uncharted 3 came out, Batman Arkham City came out, all in successive weeks. And then um, basically I dropped all those video games like they were freaking hot as soon as Skyrim came (laughs) out. I I think in the past, I don't know, 12 days or so, I've logged like 60 hours of playtime or something, (laughs) which is pretty intensive when you're like a full-time medical student, so... So is know. the game good? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> it's all right. No, yeah, it's very <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, I, I've heard a lot of So basically you're just confirming the buzz till they play uh, Skyrim if you're a video gamer. Mm-hmm. Especially for fans like of the series or that kind of liked Oblivion. It's basically Oblivion, but with every flaw fixed. So it's near video game perfection. Well, that sounds like high, high praise. I'm about to say, yeah, yeah. I've heard nothing but good things about it. So it, it, even me, I'm not a big Elder Scrolls, yeah, Elder Scrolls fan, but I've heard nothing but good things about Skyrim. So I haven't even asked them, but like, yeah, I'll pick up a console and fucking play this. Shit, <laughs> it sounds <laughs> awesome. Uh, I want to go ahead and uh, go with mine real quick. This sounds really random and I guess kind of silly, but I uh, am going to do a throwback in a way, to uh, the 90s topic. I want to give a shout-out to McFarlane Toys. I was going to do this during a regular podcast, but I didn't get a chance because we did cover a lot of stuff. McFarlane Toys is one of the main reasons why we have the toys we have now. They really did up the the, uh, sculpting, they, they upped the detail and paint applications of the toys you have now. Star Wars... DCUC, Marvel Legends, it really was because of McFarlane Toys. So, if you don't like the like current crop of McFarlane Toys, I understand that. A lot of people don't like Spawn, but he has a lot of different avenues out there, uh, different uh, licenses. 
So maybe like just look at some of those and pick them up. He does Halo toys now. Halo is really popular. He got the Simpsons license like not too many years ago. He and, does a lot of sports figures. I know that because uh, yeah, I'm into yeah. baseball, so I always check those out. Yeah, yeah, and you know he he really did like you know kind of break the boundaries of like what a toy could be. I th- I think probably one of the biggest things we've gotten, especially like Brian and uh, I think. Brian and Mike both collect BCUC <clears throat> is uh, the Four Horsemen because they were on his staff originally. They moved on. They went to Mattel and they've done uh, the Masters Universe 2000 line. I don't know. If, did they do any of the classic figures? I'm not sure. Outside of my realm of knowledge, I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, I know they did a 2000 line where like the uh, kind of you know modern day takes on them. I know they do a lot of DCUC figures, and um, yeah, I just want to give a shout to McFarlane Toys for, uh, you know, it, it was kind of my throwback uh, favorite thing of the week, because <laughs> without them, yeah, yeah, we wouldn't have a lot of the figures we have now, especially like, you know, me and uh, Brian have been uh, chatting about uh, G.I. Joe uh, recent figures, and they're really good, and... I would say we wouldn't have those figures if it weren't for McFarlane Toys sculpting and their innovations in sculpting. Tony, could, yeah. I, could I could I give a counter shout out? A small counter shout out. Sure. McFarlane <laughs> Toys. I, I bought your Halo Arbiter anniversary figure uh, last week, and he can't stand up. <laughs> sculpt, Hi. sculpt, sculpt better feet. Yeah, that's what you get for buying aliens, Mike. I can't well, help it. Well, well, the, the arbiter's cool. The, the arbiter's like the Char Aznable of Halo. Yeah, so. I like I like the arbiter. Yeah, he's cool. Well, well I'll, I'll give one thing to the uh, McFarlane toy franchise. They're really good at sculpting. They're really good at making very lifelike looking figures. Quality control is always kind of iffy. I will say that. <laughs> you aren't, aren't they? Um... We're doing the Walking Dead now, wasn't someone like a... Yeah, I thought somebody posted something on uh, Botox where they had they a bunch be. of like zombies and stuff. Yeah, they were quite jub- jubilant I, over the uh, actually, zombies they were Yeah, making. I actually saw a couple of those figures in the store, in the comic store the other day. Like, they had a couple zombies, and like, they have... I think it's only comic accurate at this point, but I think they're doing like show accurate figures too, eventually. But they had like Rick and like Shane and someone else. What would you buy a Daryl figure if they made a Daryl figure, Mike? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, he's, he's, he's my favorite. He's character. got arrows, motherfucker. Mine yeah, too. It's, it's true. Yeah. I, I think I posted on the board, but he totally reminds me of uh, Burt Reynolds in Deliverance. Because uh. <laughs> of the whole arrow thing, probably. But he's definitely BA. But yeah, I just want to give kind of like that 90s throwout to him because. Uh... No, random thing. You know what the most fucked up thing is? Is McFarlane Toys, as known now, was originally called Todd Toys. And he could not call it Todd Toys because Mattel got all butthurt because Barbie had a younger brother called Todd. And they didn't (laughs) want them getting confused. I'm like, oh, yeah, because they're so fucking similar. You're like, I'm going to buy Barbie's dream house. What's the violator doing in Barbie's dream house? <laughs> oh, mom. Uh, so that's why we never got a uh, Spawn Barbie crossover. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was like the worst, like most, yeah, oh, God. Yeesh. Frivolous litigation, folks. It's Dude, I'm telling about... you, I'm telling you, Chapel, he would get around that Barbie dream house, man. <laughs> 
He was spreading his hands a bit. Why isn't there like a medieval Barbie line and a manga Barbie line? <laughs> <laughs> like... Cyber Barbie. Medieval Barbie. She's got like her Joan of Arc outfit on and everything. The Witchblade. Witchblade yeah. Barbie. <laughs> no, but it, yeah, that sadly it is true. It, it was called Todd Toys for the first uh, series. You can, you can actually buy the original toys on eBay and shit if you want to spend that much money. But yeah, it was Todd Toys, second series. They had to change the McFarlane toys. So, yeah, was, that was kind of... They have a lot of legal troubles. He does. He, he feel for the guy. Yeah, he, he, yeah, Tony Twist and all that shit. Yeah, he, he's not He's not good with the uh, lawyers. At least he has his balls still. <laughs> yeah. I think he sold his balls, didn't he? <laughs> I, I am unaware of the current status of Todd McFarlane's balls. <laughs> nice. Yeah, he bought them for half a million dollars, so I don't know if he sold them or not. Um, he took his balls on tour for a while, but then he might have donated <laughs> some to the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God, Todd McFarlane's busted through the door. I'd appreciate you guys not talking about my balls. She <laughs> <laughs> got spawn 150. I don't know what the fuck's going on. We're releasing oh. Spawn twice a month now. We're going to be on time. Stop talking about my balls. Read comic <laughs> books. And you start know, talking Spawn. about my books. Yeah. <laughs> Read my comic books. Yeah. Do I do with comics? Oh, man. Anyway, uh, what's what's your awesome thing this week, Derek? Uh, I'm going to uh, turn the tables on Mike. It's it's all his fault. I wasn't going to buy it, but I bought uh, Ultimate Marvel versus Capcom 3. Anyway... <laughs> Um, anyway, anyway, uh, I had fun. I, I've only played it through once, really. Uh, I, I defeated Galactus with Ghost Rider in a, in a weird-ish Fantastic Four outfit, I guess, because I guess you can, you know, pick different color schemes on them. And so, like, I kind of noticed I was playing around with the color schemes on, on some of the guys that I had picked, and I was like, oh, this is interesting, because it's like, you click on some of them, and it reminds me of, like, that I don't know what era of Ghost Rider to call it, but that era of Ghost Rider where he was like hanging out with Howard the Duck and he had that big awful looking orange and <laughs> fucking red suit or whatever. It's like there's yeah. a there's a color scheme that kind of looks like that, and then there's like you know a Fantastic Four outfit, and then there's like one that's kind of more bluish. And I'm like, well, I, you know, I'm like that kind of you know, I'm like he still has the spikes, so he looks like Dan Ketch Ghost Rider, but I guess that's a wannabe Johnny Blaze kind of blue tone suit and. You know, just stuff like that, where I was like, oh, they're trying to make cool different little outfits and stuff. But anyway, I uh, I played it with the FF Ghost Rider and beat up Galactus, and that's pretty much what I did. You know, I, I got to the, the ending of, of Ghost Rider, which I thought was kind of clever, I suppose, in terms of the whole, you know, uh, what Devil May Cry and, 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 and selling souls connection between... Was, was he like the blob in the uh, X-Men game where he was like, nothing can stop the Galactus, uh, 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 nothing can stop the Galactus, uh, 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 uh. I, I wish it was that easy. It's more like it's more like die, die, yeah, yeah, die, and he keeps shooting you with his fucking hand, and you just kind of have to block him the whole time, and then you smack him around, and then he's like die, and then like, <laughs> yeah. he 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 grabs you like like you're a fucking uh uh 
a, a squirt of water in a chlorine <laughs> swimming pool and tries to like crush the life out of you. Yeah, you got to jam on the you buttons. Know, yeah, so you just kind of you know it's rinse repeat type stuff with that. But I mean, you know, whatever. It's like I I was kind of like looking at some of the the costume packs and things that are supposed to be coming out, and like some of those look kind of neat. So you know, I'm I I just kind of got it because I thought maybe you know some of you guys might eventually pick it up, and then some friends of mine uh, in Los Angeles were saying they might pick up a PS3 and stuff like that. So I thought, oh, it might be kind of fun to play that game with them and stuff like that so Derek there's like a website or, or one one of the like Capcom like fan sites that analyzes every single alternate color scheme in that game and they show you where it came from uh, it's actually wow. pretty cool like one of Hawkeye's colors is like is like red and red and grayish his costume, and the the where they narrowed it down to is that episode of Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes when he's in the space armor, and they're like we're pretty sure this is where they got this color scheme. But wow, interesting. yeah, we'll watch everything. But it's Brad. got yeah, it's got it's got like a fictional picture of where they think the color scheme came from and like the actual color scheme so like you can be the judge but i'll have to link you to it it's actually pretty cool cool yeah 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 right now Derek's just saying like next time i play through all sentinel squad (laughs) well like the the sentinels have a bunch of different funky colors too and and i think i because i you know you pick the three characters so like basically if i want to like play the game and not have to stress about it too much i pick the guy whose ending i want to see and then I usually have like Ryu and a Sentinel, and that's pretty much you know I'm, I'm good after that. You know? I'd also like to mention I kind of I popped a boner when I beat it with Strider Haru because Death's Head cameos in Strider oh, Haru's nice. ending. Really so, nice. So, yeah, I was like, whoa! Someone remembers Death's Head. Awesome. You am Strider, me like you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if they if they actually made like some kind of Japanese, uh, you know, what, what were those figures, the Dragon Ball figures you you bought the last oh, time? The S the SH figure arts. Yeah, yeah, like if figure arts made like a Death's Head figure, that would be sweet. Yeah, super yeah. articulate. Well, he'd be most likely to be a Marvel legend, I think. Mm-hmm. But you know. You know that once they, you know, do the seventeenth variant of Wolverine and Spider-Man, maybe you know. <laughs> well, let, let me let me just make everybody jizz real quick. Death's head build a figure. <laughs> yeah, oh. kind of tra- trans transformer sized. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, with all the fucking spears and weapons on his back, and yeah, just like you know, manga size. That, that wouldn't be that wouldn't be fair because then I'd have to buy that whole wave. Yeah, <laughs> and then you know the wave would be full of uh, guys like Jack of Hearts and <laughs> fucking Jack of Lantern. <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be Wolverine in his Fang costume, you know, <laughs> stuff. You know, come on, dude. And then and then and then like and then to top it all off, it'd be like it'd be like we've got a Spider-Man figure in this wave, and you're like, sweet, finally a figure I want to buy. And then it's like the Amazing Bag Man, you know, that's like part of that wave. You're like, God damn you. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. It'd be like Spider-Man Rain Spider-Man, you know? He's old and decrepit, you know? <laughs> wrinkled, wrinkled old man Spider-Man. No, it should be, and, and it could be like a, a tubby Peter Parker from Earth-X and stuff, you know? Like all kinds of cool figures. Comes with the corpse of Mary Jane, yeah? <laughs> For the first time, we're releasing Marrow. <laughs> And Dr. Cecilia Reyes. <laughs> ooh, 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 please release Maggot next. <laughs> didn't didn't they do a Maggot figure in the Toy Biz line? Yeah, yeah. I thought it got canceled. 
Oh, did that? Oh, maybe. Like I don't know. I remember seeing pictures of it in Toy Fair, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I, I was about to say right. it, was, it, was a, it was a canceled like mutant flyer line or something. Yeah. Like. So, like, uh, speaking of of toys, should we uh, should we go ahead and read uh, uh, a a email we got to the uh, Fanholes Gmail account? Let's do it. Okay. I actually should. I'll, I'll go ahead and preface this. Sometimes on the Fanholes podcast, we actually get emails from our enlightened fans who want to let us know what we're thinking and let us know if we're doing a good job. Right now, Derek would like to take the time to acknowledge those people who write us. So, Derek, if you would. Yeah, so we, we got an email from Tom Spielman. Um, he, he basically uh, writes to us. He says, hail fanholes. Uh, we, we appreciate the hail. Uh, just wanted to say that there's one show I wish had been made into toys. Uh, he's referencing probably a, a previous podcast where we talked about uh, toys that we would have liked to be, you know, like the kind of toys we would like to be made uh, that had never been made before. And so he says, I just wanted to say there's one show I wish had been made into toys. On Toonami in the 90s, there was an anime called Ronin Warriors. It was basically a samurai narrative with Power Ranger elements, the monochrome suits, etc. thrown in. Some of those figures would have been sweet. Uh, he then goes on to say, I also have a question uh, vis-a-vis Spider-Man. I'm the kind of guy whose friends always ask him about comics and stuff once a new superhero movie comes out. So with the amazing Spider-Man coming out next year, uh, probably also a reference to our For the Future segment on the Amazing Spider-Man trailer, what trades slash hardcovers Spidey storylines should I point people toward? Keep up the good work, Tom Spielman. So thanks for the email, Tom, and I'm going to let some of the other fan holes uh, tackle uh, some of the questions, and I'll I'll answer some of them myself later on. Yeah, there there was a Ronin Warriors toy line, and it clogged the shelves of KB Toys for many years. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So so I guess if you were not in the know, there is a Ronin Warriors toy line. Uh, Wasn't that Bandai that probably released it on? Uh, Playmates, actually. Oh, Playmates. Okay, okay. I must say Tom should be happy he missed that toy line because um, the one thing I remember from it besides being a shelf warmer was that they had the most tiniest heads ever sculpted. And like (laughs) as bad as it looked without the armor, once you actually equip the armor on the guys, it was basically like you had a genetic deformity action figure. It was like (laughs) so obscenely tiny how small their heads were. Was that so that the helmets could actually fit? Yeah. Yeah. And they all said, uh, spring action of power. Yeah, I just remember the ungodly amount of accessories and, like, not even counting the pieces of armor they came with. Like, they came with so many little swords and daggers and stuff that you couldn't, if you were, if you're, like, if you were a kid, you couldn't possibly keep track of all the accessories. Is it kind of like how, like, the Ninja Turtles had, like, all those, you know, I know, I know Raphael had his size, but he came with, like, all all those. Yeah, they all had that weapon rack with all these fucking weapons. You're like, I'm never going to use these. (laughs) It's like, you know, well, the ninja stars couldn't even be held by the turtles. So yeah, like, yeah. Yep. I'm gonna, I'm gonna like not lose track of this. I'm but, sure. But I remember they had like things like little claws for like wall climbing and like all kinds of extra like scythes and things like that on the side and stuff. So I, I assume the Ronin warriors had a bunch of extra crap that they didn't need. I suppose. Um, as far as this Spider-Man thing, <clears throat> oh god, I'm trying to remember the uh, actual. Uh... Uh, comic arc. I need I need some help from uh, Derek and uh, Mike. I actually was a oh never mind I know exactly what it is. Sorry, I had to think of the actual title. 
Craven's Last Hunt was a really good Spider-Man trade. Yeah, that's a good trade. Uh, Mike yeah. Zeck and uh, J.M. Uh, DeMatteis uh, worked on that. That's a good book. Classic. Yep. Yeah, it, that gets yeah. my recommend too. Yeah, I'll yep. probably, I'll probably, if if I'm feeling uh, saucy, I will probably write some kind of top ten list of my favorite Spider-Man books before the new movie comes out. But off the top of my head, um, some of the my favorite trades um, that I've liked over the years, you know, are the, I, I don't know if these are all still in print or not, so I don't know, but, uh, I really like, uh, the, the, the Hobgoblin trade that kind of features like all his main stories from like his first appearance to somewhere up in the two fifties. Uh, it's Roger Stern and early John Romita. They, Jr. they actually just came out with a new printing of that oh, okay. like, well, then, last then, month, then, maybe. Then wonderful. I, I think that's a really good trade, uh, to read. Um, I really like the alien costume uh, trade. Um, Cosmic Spider-Man is a cool little Spider-Man saga. So like all, and and then I, I think you know Tony and me are secret brothers because I, I enjoy Craven's Last Hunt. So I think those are all really uh, solid Spider-Man stuff. And then you you can't go wrong with some of these. I mean, uh, it's not exactly a trade, but you talk about hardcovers is all the either the Marvel Masterworks or the omnibuses. I guess probably the omnibuses would be more bang for your buck but like anything with you know ditko and stan lee or i guess i kind of i i i would say i probably actually prefer john ramita because he made the girls look really 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 hot and pretty you know like i like john ramita's <laughs> you know gwen and mj like when steve ditko drew gwen she was kind of a little bitchy looking but by the time it gets to uh gets to john ramita you know she looks like just like really really sweet and you know lovable and you can see why peter you know had a thing for both the gals and stuff like that did it did they do any essentials from that era uh you could probably like if if you wanted to get a cheaper version of what i'm talking about i think there's like a john ramita visionaries that collects some of the issues like where he fights with the green goblin and different parts like that or you could do things like I know there's like a Spider-Man versus the Green Goblin trade, or maybe now it's probably like a hardcover that's like called the Death of the Stacys, you know, where like you've got like both or Captain. <laughs> we killed all those motherfuckers. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. It's like Captain, you know, where it deal, you know, it has the storyline with Captain Stacy's death, and then it also has the storyline with uh, with Gwen's death. But all those are really. Uh, uh, pretty solid uh, early Spider-Man books as well. I'd, I'd also like to throw in the death of Gene DeWolf, which is a great oh, yeah. like murder mystery for Stay Spider-Man, and also features game. Daredevil. Yeah, good Venom Peter, da- good no, Peter David story. Does does Venom show up in that at all? I think he does, doesn't he? No, no that was before Venom. It was okay. it was it was the, the that was the story that explains sort of why his toe was stubbed, but. It yeah. Okay, so so like it's still black costume Spider-Man though, right? Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 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 Cool. What about you, Justin? You got a favorite uh, Amazing Spidey comic story, or not even ma- Web of Spider-Man, or Peter Parker, or the Spectacular Spider-Man back then? Um, it's hard to really top what Mike and uh, Derek have already suggested, but I guess. Um, just to reiterate a few things, like as far as recent stuff, I would suggest Spider Island. You know, me and Mike kind of agree it's it's been a pretty fun little crossover event. Um, the ongoing Venom is a lot of fun, and I guess if you've never read the Clone Saga and you kind of curious about why it's so infamous, maybe check out the first you know two collections. Like 
you'll kind of see it's it actually started out pretty good, but then it got kind of crazy really quick. So, is there, like, do you know if there's a current printing of that clone Genesis trade, or is that totally? I hard? don't know. Well, it's very weirdly. I, I can from where I'm sitting right now, I can see all my Spider-Man trades, and like my eyes were right on clone Genesis right Secret when you said weird that. Weird telepathic. Yeah, brothers. that was kind of weird. I see the blue with the the blue and the red clone Genesis right yeah, that's there. A, that's a good collection of, yeah. of you know, if you, if you wanted to start at the, like, beginning, beginning of the, the clone saga. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Brian? You got, like, uh, any uh, Spidey titles to uh, recommend in trade form? Um, all the classic books that have been mentioned thus far, I agree with. But um, as far as a more, somewhat more recent one, like, I actually liked JMS's run, like, until it started getting super weird. But um, I think there is a collection called either Homecoming or Coming Home that I actually really enjoyed. And it's during the, a time period where, like, um, Peter's actually, like, a science teacher. And I thought that was, like, the best fit for Peter as a job, like, out of any of the je- miscellaneous jobs he's held. But um, it's a good book. And until it starts getting into, like, the spider totem crap, I don't know. I thought it was just a really funny... Um, more recent Spider-Man book, so. Cool, cool. Well, I mean, I, I think we can all agree you can pick up the One More Day trade and be totally satisfied. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, if you want to kill yourself, you will be. Um, <laughs> um, but no, uh, thank hey, you for... Hey, uh, you, you, yeah. he, he wants to get a heads up on the movie, so clearly, I mean, Spider-Man's going to make a deal with Mephisto in the movie. I mean, it's... <laughs> It's an essential part of his like history now. Yeah. So, how do you I mean, think? Yeah. How do you think he uh, he gets his costume and his? Uh... How, how do you think this reboot started? You know. Yeah, like, yeah. That... Well, well, I hear the, the <laughs> nice. new Spider-Man movie starts in, uh, ends in a big magic war. So. Mm. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's what I heard. Um, now, uh, Mr. Spielman, thank you for sending the email. Check out all the ones that we. Uh, recommended really good spider titles really good trade paperbacks fuck you know you know another day that that was just a joke don't do that <laughs> one more day yeah that's you don't want to see peter parker going to mephisto and asking da, 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 da. we've gone over it before many times i don't even want to go into it but uh yeah all those spider titles we uh recommended yeah totally check those out this is a, most of those are really good like I like. I mean, again, I'm being a little biased, but like Craven's Last Hunt, I think it's a really good standalone story myself. So, well, Craven, Spike- Craven's Last Hunt is kind of written almost like a graphic novel would be, you know, even though it was a six yeah. part story in the comics because it has the same writer and the same artist and everything. I mean, I think some of the good like graphic novels are like things like I, I these are probably long out of print, but stuff like Parallel Lives and Hooky, like those are all really good, amazing Spider Man yeah, graphic like novels. Too, yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. There, there was actually a time when people wrote storylines to actually fit trade paperbacks and not just yeah, do trade paper trade paperback storylines just to like fit like a certain issue count. So I know. Remember the back then way when that happened? <laughs> Who cares how long Inferno goes? We're gonna put in like you know books at some point. Oh yeah, okay. Anyway, but uh, yeah, uh, Amazing Spider-Man always a good thing to read. Early on, I'm still kind of wary, but apparently Mike uh, said they're getting a little bit better, right? Yeah, just like like Justin said, I I enjoyed Spider Island, so I mean, you know, it, it could it could be get be getting better. 
Well, you guys, you guys piqued my interest. I may, I may check out Spider Island because I've, you know, you guys have mentioned good things about it. So. Yeah, yeah. Every every character has a downturn for a minute, so you know, we can blame the quesadilla for that. Um, <laughs> but um, thank you for uh, writing though. Uh, we do have the uh, fan holes email uh, account. You could write us at fanholespodcast at gmail dot com. We have a Twitter. We have a Facebook page. We have all types of ways you guys get a hold of us. Um, we do have some more interesting things coming out right now. I don't think Derek has his newest uh, history of comments on film coming out soon. Anyway, but uh, always new content coming from the panholes. We will try to keep abreast of all the new current nerd geek fanboy information just for you guys. We enjoyed doing the 1994 podcast. Hope you enjoyed all the information we gave you. Hopefully you kind of were alive back then, kind of remember some of the stuff we were talking about. It was really good fun just remembering bygone days. I would like to sign off. For me, I am Professor Tony Chainclaw. Who else is here right now? Hey, this is Brian Breakdown. Hey, what's up? This is Derek, Derek W.C., Mike Thunderwing, <laughs> abreast. <laughs> and I shall remain my so-called Grimlock. <laughs> Thank you for joining in on our look back at 1994. We will move ahead in the next Fan Holes podcast to more current events, but thanks for reminiscing with us. Have a good night. Peace. Mondo cool. <laughs> Nobody hated the people that were dead. I mean, we were like, you know, like, I'm glad Cesar Romero is fucking dead, you know? So. That'll, that'll teach that'll him teach to paint his mustache. Yeah, not to shave off his damn mustache. <laughs>